you are looking live as WCW Monday Nitro comes to you tonight from the home of the world champion Chicago Bulls, the home of the Chicago Blackhawks. Tonight, it comes to you from Chicago and the United Center. Welcome to our number one of professional wrestling's number one program. Welcome to WCW Monday Nitro. It is sold out. To the Raptors, not a seat to be found as we come to you from the Windy City, Tony Schiavone and Larry Zabisco. You know, I was born here. Hey, wait. wait a minute. That's Savage. The Macho Man Randy Savage. And he's. Now the ring's got to care for crying out loud. Where did he come? Was he in the stands? Tony, I'm speechless. This is incredible. We, he hasn't been around here since Halloween Havoc. Here's the deal. I've been blackballed. And I'm not leaving here tonight until I talk to somebody that's got some major stroke. Nitro is a two-hour show. I've got no plans. I'm planning to stay here all night. And one other thing. I got a message for my ex-WCW boss, Eric Bischoff. You can kiss my ass. <laughs> I don't know if he can say that on TV. I think it's coming gone. It's not going anywhere. Welcome to where the big boys play. Welcome to 20 years of Nitro. Our chronological breakdown of World Championship Wrestling's flagship show where each episode is viewed, reviewed, analyzed, and categorized as we compile an audio anthology of our tour along the southern front of Wrestling's Monday Night Wars. I am your host, Tim Root, and with me, <laughs> as always, it's my quarantine colleague, Dave Amantorp. How are you doing this week, Dave? Tim, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that today is uh, it's April 10th, uh, 2020, which actually makes the uh, 20th anniversary of the um, the first Monday Nitro under the Vince Russo, Eric Bischoff uh, tandem era. Um, as as people around that time know, um, did not go very well. Uh, so I actually, after I did the work on this Nitro that we're doing today, I started watching that one just because of the like 20th anniversary. And yeah. guess what? It has not aged very well. Um, <laughs> that must've been some real whiplash for you going between those two things. Oh yeah. It's incredibly different, but um, <laughs> it's something that we can uh, definitely look forward to down the road. And I, and really after watching it for a little bit, I'm like, I, I feel like I'm going to appreciate 1997 a little bit more since uh, I know that it does not get much better in the future. But, um, I mean, other than that, I mean, just in general, I'm I'm doing well. I've been able to get um, not only the unemployment, but I got the like the federal um, weekly amount uh, from the government. So I'm able to uh, be able to pay off my bills. So I'm feeling uh, pretty, pretty comfortable right now. So. 
That's good. I yeah, I had a really bad day yesterday. I sent you a message. I was just uh you know, I, I deal with depression and anxiety in my day to day life and yesterday was a really bad day. Today sometimes it can be such a small thing that fixes the situation. Today, uh I was I knew that I was going to grill burgers and make some fries in the oven for dinner and just the thought of burgers and fries it, it literally my second cheeseburger all year mm-hmm. uh the, the, f- the first being on my birthday uh back in february so like just having that to look forward to all day it like turned my whole my whole outlook around uh from 24 hours ago so like hey you know what this is going to go on a few more weeks um and and i'm going to go vacillate between my emotions and and that's just the way it's going to be but man having that burger was fantastic i ate it right before we started recording Sweet. Uh, so if I fall asleep halfway through, it's because I had this giant burger, but it was worth it. <laughs> well, I'll I'll keep that in mind if it gets quiet on your end, and I'm not like I wonder if he I wonder if he uh, got logged off by accident. But nope, it's just gonna be the itis getting at you. Now, before we get into today's show, I do want to remind you that you can follow us on Twitter at Twenty Years of Nitro. You can check us out on Facebook at Facebook.com/slash Twenty Years of Nitro, and of course, you can always email the show at Twenty Years of Nitro at gmail.com. Now, we have an awesome guest today, a, a multi-hyphenate superstar. He is a teacher, an actor, a documentary filmmaker, a former podcaster, and a retired sports entertainer fighting out of Athens, Ohio, who you may have seen in Absolute Intense Wrestling, Remix Pro Wrestling, Greek Town Pro Wrestling, and more. His latest film, Magnum's Opus, is available now on YouTube and Prime Video Please welcome to the show, Christopher K. Parsons, a.k.a. Magnum C.K. Uh, well, thank you very much. You know, when you when you list everything out like that, uh, it, it sounds like so much. I think, uh, I think I'd like to take a nap myself. <laughs> <laughs> I might just take a powder, take a little snooze under the ring. You, you must have had a, a, a very busy quarantine. And, uh, you know, I think you've got a, a couple daughters that, that I saw in the film there, so that keeps you busy, but... Putting together this documentary, were you was that down to the wire? It went up live yesterday. Have you been working on it this whole time? Uh, yeah, it was. And and in all honesty, if it hadn't been, I, I'm not trying to look too much on the on the bright side here and say there's a silver lining to this whole uh, worldwide disaster. <laughs> but um, if it hadn't been for the quarantine, it probably would not be finished. I mean, it was just uh, it ended up being a much bigger beast than I figured. And I always wanted to re- I wanted to release it in April, and I was able to. My goal was by my birthday so i ended up getting it done just in time it was funny because i was sending the final edits there's like a cutoff line for amazon uh prime through amazon direct video if you have an account there and Mm -hmm. i got it in like exactly at the due date to get it out by the ninth and they're like oh thanks we got it but uh we're experiencing delays so Well, happy belated birthday to you. Oh, well, thanks very much. I mean, uh, I think I, I, I much rather enjoyed because uh, yesterday I was watching the Nitro that we're going to watch. And uh, I much rather watch that than anything that Vince Russo's ever touched outside. Of, oh, you know, yeah. <laughs> assistant writer on WWF. <laughs> right. Yeah. Now, as I watched uh, as I watched the documentary, I definitely saw some influence from a few WCW stars. Uh, in your work and I was just wondering what was your history with Nitro back in the time it was on were you a fan were you uh, is that something you discovered later or uh, is was this your first time 
Well, WCW was my thing for sure. So I was born in 1986, and so I had no choice but to be a Hulkamaniac because that's like, right. you know you're you're anyone who was born after 1983 from like uh, 83 to like 89 they stamp your hand on the way out, right? Like you're a Hulkamaniac. Right. Um, <laughs> yes. But I didn't have you know back then cable wasn't as as easy to access, especially where I live. So um, I, I followed the WWF when I could at like my grandma's house or my aunt's house but um where i lived we had wtbs through the the free tv antenna and i used to always buy the pwi magazine so the nwa and then later the wcw that's what i watched every week and that's what i read about every week so i always preferred wcw to the wwf to some degree uh up until about mid 1998 <laughs> i think right. i i think i jumped ship around around then but uh with <laughs> with nitro so what i used to do I, you know when we finally got a satellite dish uh, when i was a kid i would i would watch nitro but i would tape raw and then on monday night i would watch nitro and then on tuesday night at school i was just i couldn't wait to get home to watch raw to find out what happened and uh, so I watched them both, and then I'd watch them over and over again. <laughs> now, where where you were, uh, your uh, this can vary not only part of the country to part of the country, but like school to school was 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 wrestling a cool thing to talk about with your friends, or was that something you were kind of on a ship alone with? So I actually uh, very briefly mentioned this in in the previous uh, documentary feature we made uh, because I was always a wrestling fan. You know, I, I didn't have a chance. I grew up around wrestling. My uncle was a wrestler. So, I, I mean, I was exposed to it. And, you know, when I was in early elementary school, wrestling was awesome and it was OK to like wrestling. And then it became very not awesome, like right around second or third grade. And I still had a uh, Hulk Hogan lunchbox. And there were some boys who would make fun of me. So I would always walk with the lunchbox with like the logo, the Hulk Hogan sticker, like facing inward toward my leg. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so no one would see. So it was really nice in like 1998 and 99 wrestling got really cool for like a year, like NWO <laughs> right. shirts and like, you know, uh, Austin. I remember wearing uh, I, I saved up. And I ordered an Austin 316 shirt and I wore it to school in like seventh grade. And I was like the coolest kid for like that day. <laughs> <laughs> well, we had we had the NWO on my um, uh, playground in 1996. I was 10 uh, and we had the NWO and like kids would like it's funny because kids like always kind of know that wrestling's not on the level right like you want to kind of believe it's real like i had it ruined for me when i was like five you know i'm like standing in the in the back like with ivan koloff and wahoo mcdaniel and they're both bloody and drinking a beer you know so it's like i kind of <laughs> knew the deal um but even the kids around me so like we would play wcw or wrestling on the playground and someone every day would like turn and join the nwo or like try to leave the nwo and join wcw so like it was it was totally like integrated into my school <laughs> that is awesome that's so cool <laughs> all right well today is january 20th 1997 and we are coming to you live from the united center in chicago illinois in front of just over 17,000 fans who'd paid a total gate of $189,206. Those are both records for Nitro, beating the previous record set in New Orleans last week. This is also the fourth highest gate in company history and the 71st episode of Monday Nitro. Uh, it is also the go-home show for both tomorrow's Clash of the Champions 
and Saturday's NWO sold-out pay-per-view. We start out in the arena tonight with Tony and Pyro rather than the theme song. Uh, last week, we had the cold open with the theme song getting interrupted. This week, the theme song nowhere to be found. We start right in the arena to, to Pyro and Ballyhoo. Tony welcomes us to the show, and we can see a packed house for a moment. But as Larry starts to talk to mention that he was born in the city of Chicago, someone hops the barricade at ringside and heads into the ring. It's Macho Man Randy Savage, who has of course been missing since losing to Hollywood Hogan at Halloween Havoc three months ago. Savage grabs a chair from ringside and tosses it into the ring. He gets David Penzer's microphone, sets up a chair, and tells the crowd that he's been blackballed and refuses to leave the (laughs) ring until he speaks to someone with some major stroke. Now, Jeff Jarrett is in the company, but this is pre-era where he comes out and tells you how much stroke he has every single promo. Uh So, sadly, they just missed each other by, like, three years. Yeah, well, I think it's important (laughs) to note a couple of things. First of all, did you guys notice that the hard cam's on the opposite side that it normally is? I did not pick up on that, no. Yeah, so the the rampway's on the other side, which was always weird, the arenas that they would do that. And not only that, Savage is wearing... Uh, an outfit that makes it seem that for the last three months he's been writing breakup poetry in the woods. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he is head to toe all in black with the gloves and everything. (laughs) Yeah, we've seen him do black and white before. I assume he's wearing black and white primarily here to fuel speculation that he could be joining the NWO. Uh, But yeah, he's got a very emo outfit. For uh, the 97 definition of that term, I guess. Um, I'm sure we're going to mention this a few times during this episode, but like this crowd is fucking super hot for everything that's happening pretty much. And and we've mentioned on many different episodes that like the hot crowd makes a world of difference as far as like how matches come off and how angles are played out too. Yeah, the crowd, uh, and we'll get into it, but the crowd is definitely a double-edged sword because they are hot, but there is a vocal minority who uh, <laughs> like to call things boring and at one point like to chant for ECW, yes. yeah. which is uh, something that Raw was getting a lot at this time, but we have not, to to date, we have not seen that on Nitro. Well, I think it has to do with also being in Chicago because I think Chicago was part of the ECW loop. But you're yeah. totally right because you always hear that smattering of the boring chant throughout this show. But I think it's probably the same guys who are chanting ECW. <laughs> but uh, yeah. you know, obviously you're you're about to get into what Macho Man's going to do here. Um, but given the segment we're about to talk about, the the enormous reactions. Speaking to your point, the enormous reactions that are from this segment just blow my mind because it's perfect. Yeah. Macho says he also has a message for his ex-boss, Eric Bischoff. Bischoff can kiss Macho's ass. Yes. That was, that, that was so awesome. Um, I just, it's like, it's just like, it's such a perfect Randy Savage way of, in which he delivers it yeah. to, um, you know, you can kiss my ass. Yeah, he's um, like, yeah, he's like, I've been blackballed and I'm going to sit here. And by the way, kiss my ass it's like it's like it couldn't be more like if you read that in a script you'd be like guys we gotta we gotta rewrite this like come on it's like too it's too on the nose right but because it's savage it just works yeah randy sits down in his chair and nothing happens for a while and when i say a while i mean like four minutes a lot of time goes by and at that point that the boring chance start and i'm 
hey, you know what? I'm a little more excited to see where it goes, but I don't really blame a crowd for they've watched a guy sit down for four solid minutes. I don't blame them completely for the boring chant at this point. I'm just basing this kind of off of Savage's body language, but I I feel like he's not happy doing it for that long either. Like (laughs) he seems like he wants to get up and do something because he's sitting there for such a long time. And after a while, he's kind of looking around and like, (laughs) <laughs> it almost like he, it's almost like he wants it to get going too, you know. Like he doesn't want to just sit yeah. there for like four minutes is a fucking long time. Yeah, I, I had a couple thoughts as I watched it. I agree with you. There's a there's a part where he starts to get a little antsy, and you think he's gonna grab the mic and be like, "Send out Chavo, huh?" <laughs> but uh, <laughs> right. but but there's a weird thing that I wrote down where I was like, somehow watching Randy Savage fidget around in a chair is one of the most entertaining things I've ever seen. Like, I feel like I could have watched it for like several more minutes and been like, look at him. Look, he got uh-huh. up again. Oh, he sat back down. Wow. Look at him adjusting himself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Shivani tells us that Chavo Guerrero versus Max was apparently the unlikely opener for Nitro at night. <laughs> Savage eventually grabs the mic again and says he's waiting, but still nothing happens. Yeah, it's a, that's the a kind of match where they say, like, oh, we were totally going to start with that as if they want us like, to call <laughs> right. the bluff. <laughs> right. Like, no, there's no, no way. Yeah. <laughs> there's no way. They were hoping that Chavo versus Max was going to keep the and the ratings war with WWF. That's going to keep people from turning over to, uh, you know, Pacific Blue or whatever played before. Wrong. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Tony eventually gets word from Nitro director Craig Leathers that the plan is to just try to have Chavo versus Max anyway. So out comes Chavo Guerrero Jr. <laughs> I swear that Tony must have had a deal with Craig Leathers that said, like, every time you mention Craig Leathers on the air, Craig's going to buy Tony a drink or something. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was thinking about that, too, because uh, Doug Dillinger is all over the show tonight. And there's there's a surprising amount of like nitro people whose names, you know, who are, you know, never seen or are supposed to just be kind of in like corporate or lackey you know the head of security is not a guy whose name i need to know but it comes up constantly on nitro i have lots of thoughts on on doug dillinger later i can't wait for him to show up because uh well we'll get into it later but they're not very positive (laughs) (laughs) chavo walks down to the ring looking anxious and confused after long delays he finally gets in the ring he and scott dickinson confer but are at a loss for what to do Savage and Chavo have words. Uh, They aren't mic'd, so we don't know what it is. And after a couple minutes and some audible booing, Chavo starts to get more and more animated. Finally, seven minutes into the show, Savage gets annoyed with Chavo, stands up, gets a huge pop just for standing up at this point, (laughs) (laughs) decks Chavo, and tosses him over the top rope. Max then walks out. Max (laughs) pleads his case to Savage, and Randy punches and kicks the crap out of him. I was... (laughs) So, so like after he throws out Chavo, he sits down again. Uh, Matt, Max comes in, and it's like this same thing plays out. But it's like, <laughs> it's just, it's the funniest thing because it's like Max seems so oblivious that it, the exact same <laughs> result's gonna happen yeah. because Savage stands up again. The people cheer again, and then he just does the same thing. <laughs> like Max saw what the result was, and he's like. I feel like it's going to be different with me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's funny, too, because I I was thinking this as I was watching it, because like you said, it's like seven, eight minutes before something finally happens. But when Savage does finally stand up, the place goes crazy. And I wrote down they would never, ever, ever do this. No company 
on television today would ever do this and ever take the time to, to do this slow build. Um, and, right. and one of the funniest things aside from, I, I wish, I wish so badly that Savage just would have sat in the middle of that ring while those two guys tried to work the match around him. <laughs> <laughs> that would have, that would have been great. <laughs> Randy picks up a chair and the crowd goes wild. They really want to see this dude waffle some dudes with a chair, mm-hmm. but Scott Dickinson stops him. Randy sits back down in the chair, <laughs> but when Dickinson tries to talk some sense into him, Macho hits the doughy ref right in the face a few times and then throws him over the top rope. I uh, he really he stiffs Scott Dickinson I, here. He gets him right in the face. Yeah, now. he like stiff arms him right in the nose. I died laughing. And it's funny because, <laughs> you know, you talked about uh, all these guys coming out and everything. It's funny because my wife doesn't watch wrestling very much. And she was kind of playing a game or something while I was watching this. And she looked up right as Max walked out and she goes, what the fuck is that? <laughs> <laughs> and then when Macho hit the ref in the face, she was like, oh, my God, is this real? Like, what? <laughs> now, usually when I say what the fuck is that and Max is in the ring, it's because he's done something during a match. Right. So I like that she she saw a head. <laughs> he tried to hit the ropes or something. <laughs> and then anytime it's like uh, if it's like a referee or, or a non wrestler that gets physical. And if it is like, you know, um, the referee getting kind of stiff in the face in the back of my mind, I always want to think like. This guy probably beforehand said, like, this is the only time I get to be physical in the match in any sort. So make sure you really hit me uh, yeah. because like, in, it's like yeah. my only opportunity for that to happen. I always think that's what's happening yeah. when, like, Savage just decks this guy, like, right in the face. <laughs> He's like, you want me to hit you for real? I'll hit you for real. Huh? <laughs> 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 well, it's funny because you talked about what, you know, Savage starts out the show by cursing. And it's right about this time that Zabisco is like, well, Tony, he already said the A word. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Doug Dillinger gets in the ring to talk to Macho, but when he lays a hand on Randy's chest, he too is shoved to the canvas. Al- Alex Wright is there and he eats a punch and a kick. Macho wields his chair, and uh, down in the aisle are the Steiner brothers, the amazing French Canadians, and Randy Anderson, all looking on and trying to like yell to Randy to to get out of the ring. I like that the Steiners were mm. considered low enough to be out there doing this. Like it's a bunch of geeks, and then the Steiners. I was gonna say like Macho Man would have really had a bad day if both the Steiners went in there <laughs> to handle things. Like that yeah. would not have gone well for him. I, I'm not sure that I love any uh, pair of wrestlers more than I love Scott and Rick Steiner, especially all throughout the like early to mid '90s. But I, I have to imagine that in the back a producer or, or Nick Bockwinkle or someone was looking at like, Hey, who are we going to send out to try to take out macho man? And it was like everyone who lost on Saturday night last week. And it's like, uh, <laughs> can you get Ricky and Rob out there <laughs> or, or Scotty and Rob out there and uh, make this look like something might actually happen? <laughs> yeah. So then, and then if this didn't work, then they would just send out Ming by himself. To deal with it. <laughs> wait, wait, you're telling me Alex Wright couldn't get, the job done with Macho Man. Okay, all right. right. Listen, I know it's scripted, but you know I have to d- suspend my disbelief. Okay, okay. Suddenly, we cut to the roof of the United Center and down from the rafters in front of the banner for the '92 NBA champion Chicago Bulls. 
Sting fucking rappels down to a spot just behind the broadcasters. He goes so fast from the roof to the floor. It's completely awesome. He looks like a total badass. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'm just putting this out as a disclaimer as we talk about it so that we can have said it and then moved on. (laughs) Uh, Owen Hart's tragic and preventable death has really colored the way that we look back upon it. Mm -hmm. But if you're in 1997 and you're removed from the context of what's going to happen in the future in another company... Like this whips ass. Yes. This is so cool. I, yeah. I had I had like a visceral, like in the best way, like a visceral, like excited, like stomach jumping reaction when they cut the sting and he was uh you know, all this chaos is going on. Macho Man saying the A word, he's hitting Doug Dillinger, the Steiners are out there, and then and then next thing we know, out of nowhere, Sting just comes rocketing from the ceiling. I just wrote on my paper, wrestling used to be so fun. <laughs> <laughs> It was, and for me, at this point, once Sting showed up, I was like, how the fuck is this the opening segment for Nitro? <laughs> like, this is totally like the, 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 like the main event sort of thing that's happening right away. Yeah. I'm like, this is crazy because I can't think, I mean, other than that one Nitro where the, where the dark match was interrupted by the Outsiders, yeah. Um, yeah, which happened a few months ago. Like, there hasn't been anything of this magnitude that started the show right away. It, this is like, this is like the biggest opening I can think of that, that Nitro's had so far. Yeah, uh, and the reasoning behind that is, of course, over on Raw, this is the night after the Royal Rumble. Uh-huh. They've had a title change, mm-hmm. uh, and it's live, and Raw is only live once a month, usually the, the one right after a pay-per-view. So, like, Raw, this is one of Raw's best chances in quite a while to win a rating uh, from Nitro. So, like, I think that having this in the opening segment was their way of being like, nope, you're watching Nitro, asshole. We've got <laughs> right. Sting dropping down from the ceiling, so you do not touch that remote. Yeah, you it's know? like, oh, I mean, great that Shawn Michaels won the championship, but Sting just fucking rappelled down from the, from the ceiling <laughs> to take on a crazy Randy Savage, and we're like 10 minutes into the show. <laughs> Like, I would love to hear, because this was, like, back in the days when you'd have to call your friend to say, like, dude, dude, you got to turn over to Nitro. And they're like, what? No, 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 no. HBK won the belt. It's like, no, no, no. Listen, man. Macho man sitting in a chair. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. Hear me out. Sting just fell from the roof. (laughs) As he walks the aisle to the ring, Sting pulls his bat from a holster on his hip, which is badass and awesome. Yes. As Larry prattles about Sting certainly being with the NWO, the wrestlers in the aisle part like the Red Sea. Sting points the bat at Savage and walks up into the ring. Savage sits there uh, taking in the Stinger. Sting hits the metal chair with a bat a few times as he circles Macho Man. Uh, Macho plays it real cool by sitting in that chair while Sting's messing with him. I I love that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then Sting puts the bat under... Sting then puts the bat under Randy's chin, and the Macho Man slowly rises from his chair. Sting uses the bat to shove Randy a few times, all the way back into the corner on the last one, and the famously short-fused Macho Man charges. Sting cocks the bat, and Randy suddenly stops in his tracks. Sting slowly hands the bat to Randy and turns his back, and after a long moment, Randy simply tosses it back to Sting, who snatches it from midair like a complete badass. (laughs) And the two men hop the guardrail and leave through the fans together as we go to break. Uh, 
I think it was, I was I have in my notes here to stop and ask you guys what you thought. I think we've given it away. We think this fucking rules, yes. right? <laughs> yes. Is that is that universal? Yeah, this is this is to me the coolest Sting has looked so far. Um by by far. I mean, we've also kind of dealt like with a lot of this really confusing sort of like attacks that he's had on people in which mm-hmm. it's been it's not been very clear as far as if he's WCW or the or with the NWO but this this feels very very straightforward between him and Savage like the whole thing with the bat is it's clearly like you're with me or you're against me and the, right. and the fact that like i i mean i don't know exactly where it goes from here but the, but like Sting having Randy Savage on his side for whatever, like, you know, rafter shenanigans are going to be up to for the next, like, few weeks. Like, that's going to be awesome. Overall, this whole thing was just fucking crazy awesome. <laughs> like, I, 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 again, I don't remember a time in which a Nitro has started with just, like, so much, like, high-level, high-stakes stuff has happened right away. Like, and, like Magnum was saying, as far as, like, you know, at the time, calling people like, stop fucking watching Raw. Like, this is like Sting <laughs> ascended yes. from the heavens to, to take on Randy Savage. Like, you just feel like you feel like all bets are off now for the, the other two hours of Nitro. Well, it's like, oh, okay. Oh, they have Jose Lothario out there. Oh, great. Sting swinging <laughs> a bat at Macho Man, dude. So right. it's one of the, like, I don't know how this segment could have been any more badass. Because first of all, the Steiners, if you look at Rick, he's wearing short Zubaz pants, like he like in like a cutoff T-shirt. And Scott, I don't know if you noticed, he's wearing a leather, like, Kangle hat and, he, and a, like a leather vest. And he looks like, do you remember the old security guard from the WWF? Oh, yeah, I don't remember. Yeah, yeah like the, the super roided up guys. Yeah, yeah, he looks like that guy. So everyone except for Alex Wright and Max look really badass. <laughs> right. And, and also this whole scene in the ring, like I as soon as Sting got in the ring, I remember this episode because I haven't seen it since it aired. But. I remember what happened. Um, the whole thing where Sting's hitting the chair with the bat and, you know, turning his back on Macho and just the timing of everything. If one of those beats had gone wrong, that whole segment would have been completely wrecked and stupid. But because mm-hmm. they played it perfectly like a scene from like a Patrick Swayze movie from like the late 80s, it just worked perfectly. <laughs> now, I was curious. uh because Magnum, you you talked about Jose Lothario or or like a hypo- as a hypothetical over on Raw. So I looked up, and interestingly, we normally talk about Raw in our worldwide episodes, but I I think this is is interesting to know. If you were over on Raw right now, rather than watching Sting come down from the rafters, what you would be seeing is Bret Hart cutting a promo to Vince McMahon about how he keeps getting screwed by the uh, WWF hmm. and how he's quitting uh, because of yeah. it. And that then uh, Gorilla Monsoon comes out, and that sets up the main event for uh, Fatal Four or In Your House Four Way. What yeah. do they call that one? Final like, Four Way. Yeah, yeah. Fatal Four Way. Yeah. 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 So that's actually a really good segment too. Yeah. God, that's ooh, it's starting to get really good in these Monday Night Wars. Yeah. <laughs> if those those two segments are head to head. Yeah, 1997 is like a Sophie's Choice, man. Like it is. It's such a crazy time, <laughs> which is why I always, <laughs> dude, I had to tape it. You know, it was back in the days yeah. of VHS. I would tape one and watch the other because they were both just the best television. And, and, and heel frustrated Brett 
is is hard to beat, man. Especially when he's yelling at Vince. Absolutely. <laughs> like that time he's like, yeah. this is bullshit. You know, like it's 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 mm-hmm. amazing. Frustrated isn't the goddamn word for it. <laughs> right. That's Everyone what, oh, in the goddamn back knows it. I'm the best there is of all time. <laughs> <laughs> That's like my favorite promo of all time. So I just have to mention because I watched it a couple weeks ago, that Bret Hart promo because it was like the anniversary of it. And he says he says something about how like Sting like uh, how Sid knows that he's not the rightful champion, uh-huh. and when Sid comes down to the ring, you can hear him say, "I don't know shit." <laughs> <laughs> well, well, that's just like that's another time I think he said something like that to Scott Hall, where he's like, "I have half the brain that you do." <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God, God bless Sid Vicious. <laughs> All right. After a commercial, when we return, we see replays of Masahiro Chodo joining the NWO and getting disqualified for beating the shit out of Chris Jericho back on December 16th edition of Nitro. When the replays are done, Chris Jericho and Alex Wright are in the ring. Now, this was supposed to be Chris Jericho versus Psychosis, but Psychosis had travel issues uh, unspecified from what I could find mm. and didn't make it to the show. But here to call all the action is a man who never misses a gig, Dave Amantor. <laughs> right. So basically, WCW was like, hey, listen, Alex Wright, you know, I know you were just attacked by Randy Savage. Uh, but how about you just kind of stick around ringside for like 10 more minutes and then just like have a match <laughs> with Chris Jericho? Why not? <laughs> I'm just saying that this seems like kind of an unfair advantage for Chris Jericho. Sure. But despite the disadvantage, the match starts off competitive with both competitors, uh, with both wrestlers trading wrist locks and arm drags. <laughs> Wright believes he got the upper hand with a couple of good old fashioned haymakers, but Jericho immediately counters with a flying shoulder tackle and a very nice super kick for a two count. Uh, Jericho attempts to whip Alex into the opposite corner, and while a reversal is countered with a big boot, Chris cannot take advantage as Wright nails him with a flying heel kick. Mm. Uh, Wright puts the boots to Jericho, then hits a handful of European uppercuts after Chris returns to his feet. Uh, This is then, in my notes here, the match devolves into some fuckery. Pretty much. Uh, <laughs> Alex Wright uh, tries to slingshot Jericho in the middle of the ring, uh, but Jericho escapes with a punch. This is also a point in which there are boring chants going on, which yeah. is that's not very fair because we're like two minutes into the match. Yeah. Um, Jericho is now very visibly calling moves um, as they trade <laughs> off a few different like uh, they're just they're going through uh, some pretty sloppy pinning combinations. Until Jericho eventually catches right with a surprise three count on a roll up. Um, I know these two have faced each other quite a few times, especially uh, notably Jericho is his debut on Nitro was against Alex Wright. Um, right. This match, I don't know. Maybe it's just uh, they didn't have a right rhythm or something like that, but it was just like a little bit off. And then it, it just they're trying to reverse um, their pinning combinations and it just is kind of messy towards the end there. Um, so, I don't know. It's only a couple minutes long. Um, but like I said, it, it definitely it does kind of fall apart towards the end. Well, I think part of it is just speaking from a wrestler's perspective, sometimes those three-minute matches, you think, oh, great, three minutes, get in, get out, and get it over with. 
sometimes those are even harder and you're up against TV time and who knows, maybe they didn't find out until, you know, 20 minutes before airtime that they were going out and had three minutes. But I will say that a couple of things I like Alex, Wright, And of course, you know, Chris Jericho is amazing. Uh, but Alex Wright's strikes are the worst. I like way worse than I remember them being like, uh, he's throwing these haymakers, like you said, but they look like wet wash rags. Like it's like a, like a limp, <laughs> a limp wiener schnitzel in there. <laughs> <laughs> like they just look like how I would punch my cousin if we were wrestling in my living room, you know, like where it's like, mm-hmm. I know that wrestlers stomp, but I don't really know how they do it, but I'm going to try it anyway <laughs> type of thing. Yeah. And, and I kind of got this nitro playing a little bit in the background and, and those pinning combinations are happening and there's some sort of confusion because because Jericho stops and starts talking to right and then throws a clothesline and, and but Alex doesn't duck so he hooks a headlock and then they roll around for a while and and I don't know if you noticed Alex Wright's shoulder was up on the three count yeah yeah oh his shoulder was a mile off the mat <laughs> for that the end there for sure I I personally yeah I I kind of agree with what you guys said about the match I was distracted though the whole time because towards the beginning Tony talks about uh Eric walking around the office saying that he's refusing to sign the macho man back he's like backing up the <laughs> macho man's idea that he's being blackballed uh-huh. and I never before thought about Eric Bischoff after turning heel yeah still coming to the office. (laughs) And so like, it's just a bunch of people in suits. And then like this one guy wearing an NWO t-shirt, just like (laughs) kicking shit off the conference room table. Mm -hmm. And then I started thinking, are there other corporate NWO employees? Like did Ted in HR join the NWO? (laughs) Is Susan in marketing (laughs) now in the NWO? Like, Like how far does it go, you know, within the organization of WCW? And I could, I couldn't watch the match because that's all I could think about. I I totally missed that, but I, I, they're, they're having a board meeting and all of a sudden they're like, Susan, do you have anything to add? And she just stands up, takes off her shirt and she's got the black and white colors. And they're like, like, I like to imagine like, like, like Shivani, walks into the break room and Eric's already in there. He hasn't done any work today. He showed up at like noon <laughs> and he's like leaning against the refrigerator eating like microwave popcorn that he probably probably has you know someone else's name on it. And and Shivani just walks in, kind of nods, Eric doesn't react and Eric's like, "You know I'm not signing Macho Man, right?" <laughs> 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 After a break, NWO Sting comes to the ring, promising to take care of Scotty Riggs on behalf of Buff Bagwell. Uh, he he specifically says to the camera, don't worry, Buff, I got him. So that is a name now, uh, not just a descriptor. Like last week, it was kind of something Buff was calling himself, yeah. like, I am Buff. Yeah. But now he is being referred to as Buff as a as a pronoun. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost there because um, when he comes out, Tony still calls him Marcus. Yeah. Um, so maybe it's just, it's, they're not like a hundred percent. They're not like used to calling him by the new thing, but very clearly that is where that's the direction they are going. Yeah. Well, my favorite thing about bogus sting is he doesn't look anything like sting somehow. Like it's not even close. <laughs> like, right. It's, it's, not like, even it's close. like his face is all stretched out. Like he looks more like, uh, like Joaquin Phoenix's early attempt at the Joker paint in the movie or whatever. Like it's like something's <laughs> off about it. Like, I don't know what it is, but he's, it's not even close. I don't, I don't know how it is, but it seems like every time we see him, he looks less and less like Sting, too. <laughs> that 
does seem to be true. Right. He's actively trying to look less like Sting. Well, one thing about Scotty Riggs that's it's, it's interesting to note is I actually tagged with Scotty Riggs in like 2008. That's uh, is he? He seems like a real uh, just from his Twitter yeah. persona, but he seems like a cool dude. How how was he? He was a uh, great dude. It was the weirdest night of my life because, well, one of them anyway. So I show up and I didn't know who I was wrestling, and they're like, "Oh, they got you tagging with Scotty Riggs," and I was like, "Oh, that's weird." Okay, and like and uh, <laughs> and and Daphne's gonna be your manager, and I was like, "Well, that's even weirder." Oh wow! Right? And they're like, "I was like, well, who are we working?" And they're like, "Uh, Shark Boy and Norman Smiley," and I was like, "Wait a minute!" <laughs> what? Listen, one of these things is not like the other like what how like why am i in this put a bunch of names in a hat or something (laughs) that's bizarre that's a bizarre matchup the bell rings and Riggs goes to lock up but fake sting stalls doing his horrible version of sting's battle cry yeah the crowd isn't buying it so he turns to them and does it again and Riggs nails him from behind Riggs sends fake sting off the ropes and does a leaping back elbow followed by a couple very pretty standing drop kicks Larry decides that he will start calling fake sting stink, which I guess uh-huh. goes along with new world o- order uh, odor. So he's he's b- building a consistent line of insults, at least. Yeah, he he likes to go for like the the Mad Magazine names, pretty much. Like Mad Magazine would call Sting stink for sure. Yeah. And I don't love stink. Uh, I, like it's not that good of a joke, but I will start using it simply because I hate saying fake sting and NWO sting all the time. It's much simpler to say stink, so I I will just go with. That. I would just love to hear uh, David Pinser being like, "Oh man, cold stink." Oh. <laughs> Riggs hits a back body drop, then Stink fights his way back in with a stun gun. As Tony promotes that later on, we will see a promo from Eric Bischoff all about the Macho Man that originally aired this past Saturday night. Stink stops and slaps Riggs before hitting a backbreaker for a one count. Stink gives Scotty an Irish whip to the corner, but runs into Riggs' boots a few times. On the third go-round, Riggs tags him with a missile dropkick from the second rope. Riggs is distracted now by something in the aisle, which turns out to be Bagwell in an NWO shirt that says Buff on the back. <laughs> Just really, really hitting it home, that new nickname. <laughs> and he's pointing at it like yeah. he's pantomiming it for the back row of the United Center. He, <laughs> yes. he wants everyone to look. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Fake Sting tries a double axe handle Riggs in the back, but Riggs has eyes in the back of his head and dodges. He hits a flying forearm, and Bagwell rushes the ring with several other B-Squad NWO members. Riggs bails, jumps the rail, slaps Buff, and runs off. David Penzer announces Riggs as the winner by disqualification, but the NWO corner him and cajole him into announcing Sting as the winner by countout. The NWO then poses the ring as we head to break. Uh, It was a short match. Nitro, the past three weeks... Uh, has definitely set a new formula where they are having matches where they are all three minutes or less, and then maybe there is one long match on the show. Yeah. Tonight, I don't even think we get the one long match. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the new format, and we've, we've talked about it in the past. It does help in that if something isn't working, you don't have to watch it for that yeah. long. Right. I do miss some of the longer, great matches we had you know, in 96. Um but I appreciate if Riggs and Sting are going to be in there, and I and I like Riggs. I, I don't mean to lump him in with fake Sting, but if those two guys are in there, like I I do appreciate that it didn't take up too much time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know Riggs got his drop kicks that I always like to see, and other than that, there wasn't 
really much to look at here. Um, what do you think, Magnum? Well, I mean, it was. I'm glad they put the match out of its misery pretty early because obviously it was, it was a couple of cinder blocks in there. Because Riggs is great, and especially at this time, he's great. But man, just stink just doesn't do it for me. Uh, but. The, yeah. the the real story here to me is this NWO B team, because first of all, I, their theme is so terrible that I love it. I don't know. Like the NWO B theme is one of the worst theme songs I've ever heard, but I absolutely love it. But they come <laughs> they come running out with their like ankle length leather coats and like NWO hoodies. And they look like the cast of wild hogs or something. <laughs> it's a bunch of 40 year old guys trying to look like gangsters <laughs> right yeah if only they had david spade as their mouthpiece <laughs> right i think that could really that could work tony ta oh after a commercial tony tosses us to an interview recorded sometime last week of the chicago blackhawks bob probert by the nature boy, Ric Flair. <laughs> you talk about the real tough guys, the real intimidators of professional sports. One name rises above them, one name surfaces to the forefront, and that's Big Bad Bob Probert, Chicago Blackhawks, number one policeman. Couldn't be in Chicago tonight, but Hogan, he was going to walk the aisle with the four horsemen. Next time you're in town, watch out. Big Bob's got words for you. Well, I'm going to be in Buffalo tonight. I won't be here, but next time, Hulk and the NWO, keep your head up because I'll be in town. Woo! You just heard it from Big Bad Bob Probert of the Chicago Blackhawks. Woo! Big Bob. Probert was the team's enforcer. Uh, for those of you who aren't hockey fans, that's just some dumb goon whose job is to fight people, mm -hmm. uh, which I, I... There was, like, a couple years where I got into hockey. I still... The fights, I... Even as, like, a, you know, a wrestling fan and a, a lapsed MMA fan... I don't get the fighting in hockey. I think it's stupid. I wish they took <laughs> I, I think that's like blasphemy to true hockey fans, but it's just a part of the game I, I don't quite get. Uh, anyway, anyway, Bob Probert is the Nature Boys kind of a guy as he once got popped with 14 grams of cocaine in 1989 <laughs> while crossing the U.S.-Canadian border, uh, and he once crashed his motorcycle while three times over the legal alcohol limit in 1994. If you're wondering, yes, trace amounts of coke were again found in his system after that crash as well. But he learned his lesson the second time. Yeah. <laughs> do, I mean, did you have to wonder? <laughs> <laughs> he is about to have even more in common with Flair as just a few months from now, he will tear his rotator cuff, <laughs> which is the very injury that Rick is rehabbing when we see him on this show. Hmm. Flair and Probert are in an empty hockey arena down by the glass. Flair says that Probert can't be in Chicago tonight. Uh, I guess the team had a game in Buffalo. And Probert warns Hulk and the NWO that though he can't be there tonight, they better keep their head up next time they find themselves in Chicago. Flair woos, and that's the whole thing. They, they flew Flair out to Chicago a week early to get one sentence out of this guy. <laughs> um... I, I get where this would have meant something for the people in the arena, but I would have just shown it like during a commercial break or before mm -hmm. the show or something. Yeah. It it seemed odd to me to take up TV time with this, whatever this interview or promo was. Uh, as, as much as it's fun to see the mainstream guys on Nitro, like Charles Barkley, Kevin Green, Aaron Neville last week, yeah. Kyle Petty, this one just, it didn't really fit and it didn't, it didn't make it seem like a big deal to me, especially because it was pre-taped, mm -hmm. if that makes any sense. 
it was a total waste of a flight. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't think it added anything to anything, and I think it, it took away, if anything. But w- did anyone notice the microphone that Ric Flair is holding is like the long, skinny microphone from like The Price is Right? <laughs> yeah, it's, I was going to say, it's the Bob Barker uh, one. Wh- <laughs> Why? <laughs> <laughs> the Horseman theme plays as Larry Zabisco claims to have beaten up quite a few hockey players in his day. Yeah, of course he did. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Out walks Steve McMichael and Deborah, and this being Chicago, Mongo is a big time babyface. Yes. He gets a huge pop uh, from all the Bears fans in the crowd tonight. Arn Anderson trails about ten feet behind the McMichaels, and the team of Mongo and Anderson will face the very unlikely pairing of United <laughs> States champion Eddie Guerrero and aspiring horseman Jeff Jarrett, <laughs> who both hmm. who both enter to Eddie's theme. Jarrett is a divisive wrestling name for a lot of people. Uh, so I'm curious, Magnum, where do you fall on Jeff Jarrett, uh, the performer, the on-screen person? Well, uh, I, I'm torn because I've met Jeff several times. Actually, my first the, the first show I ever wrestled an actual match on, Jeff was on the card with Dusty Rhodes back in 2005. And I met him then, mm-hmm. and he was a super nice guy. And I think the last time I saw him, I saw him at AIW like a year and a half, two years ago. Again, just a super nice guy. But as a kid, Jeff Jarrett had turned the channel heat, man. Like, I was like, I saw Jeff Jarrett, and I was like, oh, I can't stand this guy. I want to see what's going on on Raw. And, and maybe that's good. Maybe it's just because he was doing his job. Uh, so as an adult uh, and a professional who's met him, I think he's a, you know, a fantastic talent and a great guy. But as a kid, I hated Jeff Jarrett. Yeah, I, I have uh, similar feelings in that as a kid, I, I never was into him. Um, that was a big reason why uh, I wasn't watching Nitro. I mean, there are many reasons why I wasn't watching Nitro in 99 and 2000. Oh, yeah. Um, but the, the pushing of Jarrett as a main eventer at the time was like an absolute no-go for me. Uh, but I, I also met him in a much shorter instance than you. I, I just met him at like Starcast, getting an autograph. But he was a, a very, very nice, uh, cool guy to meet there. Just took the time to have a little conversation instead of just signing it and, and moving on. So, and I've and I've heard from other people as well that Jeff Jarrett has just always treated them very well. So it seems like he's a really great dude. It's just the on-screen character doesn't do it for me it just like you said it, it's changed the channel heat a hundred percent yeah it's weird because you know he's just doing his job which is just to be an ass you know but as a as a kid it was it was just like i can't watch this i can't i can't i can't hang with it which is probably maybe a little too far as the bell rings tony mentions that this is the biggest crowd in 1997 who will see a wrestling event in the city of chicago uh... And if that sounds like a really specific thing to say, yeah. it's because he's taking a subtle shot at the fact that WrestleMania yep. will be held in the Windy City just a few months from now oh. in the much smaller Rosemount Horizon. Yeah, well, now that'll put, that'll put the butts in the seats. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things where you're if you don't know that's what he's talking about, you're like, why is he... The phrasing of that is so weird. Mm-hmm. And to say in January, this is the biggest crowd that will be here in the city whatever <laughs> right. it's, it sounds really dumb yeah. but you're like oh it's just another chance to take a little dig at wwf i wonder though i wonder if he was right i wonder if nitro had a bigger attendance than wrestlemania uh, i think i think wrestlemania is like thirteen thousand or something like that yeah the rosemount horizon doesn't even hold as many people who are at nitro tonight and nitro is co- the thing is nitro is coming back here i want to say in july 
to the United Center, so they might actually beat their own record. So that might be the biggest crowd <laughs> to see a wrestling show in Chicago in 97. Uh, it is a weird day, though, to pick this particular pissing contest because just the day before the WWF had packed 60,000 people into the Alamo Dome. Yeah. And there's no way right now WCW would get 60,000 people anywhere in the country. That just would not happen. No, it wouldn't be until probably Goldberg and Hogan, I would say, uh, that they came anywhere right. close. But, you know, because the fans, 60,000 seems enormous, you know, and, and the fans don't know how heavily that Royal Rumble was papered and how many tickets were given away, but it just doesn't matter because you see that visual of Shawn Michaels winning the belt in front of 60,000 Texans, and it's like, oh, man, this is the brand. Right, exactly. Jarrett and Arn lock up, and Jarrett gets a side headlock and a shoulder tackle, but Arn comes right back with an elbow to the head that takes Jarrett down. Arn then wants to drop an elbow and have Jarrett avoid it, but their timing gets very <laughs> off. He, like, starts to drop it, sees that Jarrett's not moving, stops, then Jarrett moves, and once he's two feet away, then Arn drops the elbow, even, <laughs> even though by that point he's watched Jarrett move out of the way of where he's going. Jarrett rolls to the outside, and when Arn leans over the middle rope, Jarrett pops him in the mouth. They fight on the apron until Jarrett drives Arn's head into a turnbuckle and hits a flying crossbody. Jarrett tags in Guerrero, who is quickly isolated in the horseman corner, but Eddie actually gets both Mongo and Arn with strikes. Tony plugs the Taskmaster versus Chris Benoit coming up in the second hour, which will be a prelude of things to come for their Falls Count Anywhere match happening tomorrow night at Clash of the Champions. Arn asks the crowd if he should tag in Mongo, and the pop is huge. <laughs> they love the idea. They're looking a lot forward to Mongo wrestling a lot more than I am. Mongo and Guerrero lock up, and Eddie quickly locks in a side headlock, but Mongo whips him into the rope and levels him with a shoulder tackle. Eddie sells it beautifully. He goes down like he's been shot. Mm. It's incredible. The crowd roars for this and then roars again when Mongo sets Eddie up for a press slam. Uh, Eddie just doing a beautiful job of going up light, but Guerrero counters him into an arm drag. Mongo then tries throwing Eddie up into the air, but, e but Eddie is able to hit a quick drop kick on the way down. Eddie charges McMichael, but Mongo dumps him over the top rope. Uh, there is no disqualification for this as moments before you see Randy Anderson look over to Arn and kind of ask him to distract him <laughs> he's like oh they're gonna throw him over the top rope could you please make me look at you for a while <laughs> mongo whips eddie into the guardrail and then rolls him back into the ring arn perhaps recognizing that those two minutes without mongo fucking up even once is more than you could possibly ask for mm -hmm. and tags himself back into the match and takes it to eddie with punches i do want to stop for just a second though and say that segment, uh, like it was only about a minute, maybe two minutes, but Eddie Guerrero is the one guy who at this point in Mongo's early career could make him look good. Mongo did not look bad at any point during that, that exchange there. I thought it was a pretty, pretty awesome job by Eddie Guerrero. Well, the only other time I can really think of him having time in the ring was the um, that ba uh, Great American Bash. And that was he had the Great American Bash match that was good, and then he had a four man tag on Nitro, one of the uni Disney ones. Um, oh, okay. It was like the Horsemen versus some guys, and everything Mongo did was like terrifying. And <laughs> no one he tried to like take Sting up for a side suplex, and Sting grabbed the top rope to stop him because he knew that Mongo didn't have him right. Yeah, and was about to like break his leg. 
Well, you guys are in for a treat coming up because I can't remember if it's later in January or early February, but you'll know it when you see it because Mongo has an exchange with Kevin Sullivan at one point that's just mind-blowing. Um, and and I, actually, <laughs> I actually tweeted it one time. I taped it and tweeted it. And... Um, uh, Hurricane Helms retweeted it and then like it, it ended up sending it to Dustin uh, Rhodes and <laughs> Dustin Rhodes summed it up perfectly uh, in regards to Mongo as he says he has Jimmy legs because <laughs> if you watch Mongo in the ring his legs are just bouncing around like he's always like 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 he can't ever just like stick his feet he's always hopping around but you know you, you hit the nail on the head two minutes of Mongo in the ring without anyone having, you know, CTE or a broken shoulder or anything is about the best you can hope for. But <laughs> even though he's over like crazy, they kind of ruin it because he never really gets any big moves aside from that shoulder tackle. He doesn't really get anything big. The crowd, you can tell just wants him to destroy Eddie, but he just kind of doesn't. That's true. I think I think Eddie was like trying to balance making him look good by not having him botch something terribly. Yeah. Yeah. But Eddie was also trying to preserve his own body right. and was like, there's nothing that leads to this guy getting me to take a bump that I feel entirely confident in. Eddie, Eddie's trying to balance getting Mongo over and continuing to feed his family. Right. <laughs> Guerrero manages to tag in Jarrett, who hits a scoop slam on Arn, and then another on Mongo, who attempts to interfere. That almost goes awry, but Mongo does manage to go up for the slam. Uh, it's there's just like a little hesitation where I was like, oh no, but <laughs> it ends up okay. Jarrett then hits both men with drop kicks. As Jarrett punches Arn, the enforcer holds him by one of his suspenders, I guess. <laughs> I don't know exactly what to call those things from his his weird collar to his pants. That's what uh, Larry Zabisco called him at the very beginning of the, of the match. He called them suspenders. Oh, and I was like, that's really funny. I like calling him suspenders, <laughs> especially since there's not, there isn't really like a thing to call him as far as I know either. Uh, so yeah, Arn grabs those and Mongo hits a punch to the kidneys. We then see Guerrero run to the back for no reason <laughs> that right. we can discern. <laughs> he has just left the building. Yeah. Larry, Larry just goes, he fled like a coward, and for a second, as, as an audience, that's all we're left to surmise, <laughs> yeah. that he just got too scared of Mongo and bailed. Never, never mind that shit! <laughs> <laughs> Tony gets word through the headset that Six had come out and taunted him, so apparently that's where he went. Arn plants Jarrett with a spine buster and locks on a figure four. Despite the two-on-one advantage and the fact that his partner has his opponent locked in a submission move in plain view of the referee, Mongo comes in and just starts stomping Jarrett <laughs> until Deborah comes in. And the weirdest ending to a match I've ever seen happens. Deborah. So the horsemen are double teaming a guy they don't need to double team. And Deborah comes in and throws in her sash, which apparently counts as throwing in the towel even though she is managing the team that is attacking and not the guy who is being attacked. Right. right. Yeah. Randy Anderson decides that this is acceptable. He he's going to allow this. <laughs> and he calls it he calls it a, a win for the horsemen rather than uh he, like a submission win for the horsemen instead of a disqualification for Mongo's interference. The crowd does not care for that, and Arn and Mongo seem pretty confused and angry with Deborah as all three stand in the ring. 
Mongo is still on Deborah's side, though, as he eventually replaces the sash and kisses his wife, and the horsemen leave to go up and meet with Gene Okerlund, who is in the aisle. Shivani, please, Chicago, join me in welcoming the 13-time WCW heavyweight champion of the world, the nature boy, Rick What's going on? Your assessment of the four horsemen as they stand here tonight. Me, Gene, in a city that we should be tearing down tonight, I've got to tell it like it is. Nature Boy is on the men and putting his body back together so he can be a real life fighting horseman. But each week, I gotta tell you, Mean Gene, I look at what's going on. I look at Mongo and Deborah. I look at Christopher and woman, oh woman, won't you marry me now? And then I look, and then I look in the eyes of the enforcer and I get up here like I am not quite as big as he is, but knowing that when I'm with him, I can walk anywhere. I'm going to tell you right now, the horsemen are not the unit they've been in the past. Wow, wait a minute here, Rick Blair. That does, that does not... clarify that. When I'm with Arn Anderson and I'm with the old gang, I know that we take care of business before we start knocking the women down. It's been all turned around lately. So let me make a suggestion. Christopher, Mongo, let's be horsemen first. And then go downtown. This is a man's game. And in the world of professional sports, this is the greatest thing you could ever aspire to be. You honor it, you cherish it. If you are asked to be a horseman, you're at the pinnacle of your career. When I was down, you held it together. When you were down, I held it together. The fact is, the horseman will endure as long as the names Flair and Anderson are a part of it. All right, uh, Steve Mongo, McMichael, welcome home. Give me this mic. Chicago, Mongo's home! You know I've been a Super Bowl champion here, you all thought, and let me tell you one thing, you two, I'm proud to be a horseman, baby, so that's that, and this is this. That's right, Gene, I was your Mrs. Illinois, and I know what it takes to be a winner, and I'll tell you one thing, what they were doing to Jeff Jarrett is not what winners do. Thank you very much, uh, Chris, Benoit, and woman. There's no fact, there's, it's a fact, Mongo, that you are a winner when it comes to football. 
Nebra, you are a winner when it comes to beauty pageants. You're standing here with four other winners in pro wrestling. This is pro wrestling. Let's keep things in perspective. Well, brother, the fact is, we were up in that ring and had Jared down and out. Unlike the last two times you wrestled him. Thank you very much, gentlemen and ladies. I, I appreciate it. I see even some divisiveness here, maybe on three sides in regards to the horseman. Yes, Deborah. You know, I don't mean to say anything, but that woman sure is a big-hearted lady with hips to match. Please, we're going to be right back. Shouldn't have said that. You know, she said you. Illinois. Gene brings out Ric Flair, who has put on a suit for the occasion, uh, which I noted because uh, Flair, known for wearing suits, during the Nitro era, he's like usually kind of in a sweater or something. Yeah. This is he's not normally in a suit on Nitro. Gene asks Nature Boy for his thoughts on the state of the Horsemen, as Chris Benoit and Woman quietly make their way uh, to the ring, complimenting the full stable. Flair says that he is on the mend and will soon be a fighting member of the team. Flair says the Horsemen are not currently the unit that they have been in the past and asked Benoit and Mongo to be horsemen first and foremost. <laughs> well, he emphasizes, he emphasizes, I'm so sorry to interrupt, but he emphasizes horse. He's like, I <laughs> I need you to be horsemen first. And it's like, what? <laughs> Are they going to ride ride Mongo? Like, <laughs> He should have told them to be horses and just kind of seen where they went with that. <laughs> They're pretty loyal. Like, would they just kind of gallop around? Who knows? Yeah, yeah. Benoit's just eating sugar cubes and stuff. <laughs> Arn puts over the privilege of being in the group, and Mongo gets a cheap pop by telling Chicago that Mongo is home. <laughs> McMichael goes on to yell about the Super Bowl and his pride in being a horseman before ceding the mic to Deborah, who is roundly booed by the crowd. <laughs> Uh, they are into Mongo, but they are not into his wife. Right. <laughs> In spite her claiming that she was Mrs. Illinois, uh, <laughs> apparently winning that winning that title despite not knowing how to say the name of the state, <laughs> she says what the horsemen were doing to Jarrett is not what winners do. Benoit, who is cheered when he takes the mic, says Mongo and Deborah were winners in their respective fields, and now they stand with four winners of pro wrestling, and they should keep that in mind. <sighs> Mongo rips Benoit for losing twice to Jarrett, ignoring that both times Benoit lost because of botched interference by other horsemen. Right. <laughs> Including him. <laughs> Including him just a week ago. Gene decides that he's had enough and the horsemen leave. Uh, everyone except for Mongo and Deborah, that is, because as we had to break, Deborah says that woman is sure a big hearted lady with the hips to match. Oh, my God. Uh, the, would uh magnum how'd you like the horseman I, drama interview I segment mean, of the week here we we've seen a lot of these lately yeah and there's just so much to unpack and and first and foremost i'm not trying to jump back too far but the only person we have to blame for mi missing the shot of six is craig leathers so let's just get that straight because <laughs> <right now. laughs> he's the one in the where's truck. your god now shivani <laughs> I, I the whole thing i think this segment was perfectly uh, started with Flair slipping on the rug as he walks out <laughs> because it's just a mess. Like, I, I don't I, I like the idea that there could be some cracks in the foundation of the horsemen. But this whole 1997 thing in the beginning, here it just doesn't work for me at all because it's messy. I don't understand 
I, I mean, listen, I, this was, you know, 23 years ago. I've probably watched this stuff a million times. I still don't know what the problem was with Mongo and Jeff and he wants to be a horseman and then Deborah and whose side is she on? And then woman has heat with Deborah, kind of, but they don't, but then they do. It's just, it doesn't make any sense to me. And, 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 uh, Another way to accent this is when <laughs> Benoit, of course, not known for his promo abilities. Gene gives him the mic and Benoit, Benoit says, there's no fact. It's a fact. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what you're saying is 100% true, but I will say his overall delivery has grown. He, he's so much better yeah. than when he got here in 95. Oh, yes. Uh, he he is improving like by the week, so, uh, so I I do want to defend Benoit just a little bit uh, on the mic in this one specific yeah. thing. Right, <laughs> I, never like to say the sentence I want to defend Benoit, yeah. but I I do think I do think he is greatly improving. Of course, uh, as a promo, I I totally agree. But I mean, you see that the whole energy of this whole segment is off. It just doesn't it doesn't read, and we have the wrong people in front. If you look at the picture, you have Ric Flair. Rick Flair and Arn Anderson standing back behind everyone, like not involved at all. It's just a mistake. Right. Well, it also feels like they're kind of in like this holding pattern for this last few weeks in which they're they're not sure if they should trust each other. They don't know as far as like if Jarrett should be part of the group or not. But they've just kind of gone over this these topics like over and over again. So I could I can understand if they're kind of losing a little bit of like the intensity because yeah. they're kind of just talking about the same things over and over. Um, so it, it, it does seem like that this angle could use the benefit of like something happening, something significant <laughs> happening other than them kind of bickering with each other and then kind of getting over it by the end of the show. And then the next week, they it just gets reignited again. It definitely needs to see an, a new level of escalation. Like, it doesn't necessarily have to have whatever the the payoff is going to be, but we definitely need to take a step up uh, in the next couple of weeks because it, you know, we've we've praised the Horseman segments a lot, but this is the first week where I was like, this is this is getting a little <laughs> old. There's there's nothing new here. Yeah. You know. After commercial, Tony introduces the NWO promo of Eric Bischoff that I mentioned earlier that aired just this past Saturday. It happened on WCW Saturday night. As I said earlier, it is power and ego run amok, as we heard from Eric Bischoff. You know, it's not easy being king. A lot of people think that it is. Two of the most powerful wrestling organizations in the world. First, the NWO. And secondly, of course, our beloved <laughs> WCW. It's a lot of work, but you know, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I feel very grateful. I see what's happened to our industry. I have to look back at what Hall and Nash have done to everyone. The Nasty Boys, Faces of Fear, and Harlem Heat. It's really been quite devastating. Liz, please, a little closer. Hollywood Hulk Hogan, my personal hero, I gotta tell you. You know, he bought me this bike. I love that guy. The man who has put out more legends in our sport than anybody. Did I mention that he bought me this bike? Ric Flair, a man who everyone has loved for such a long time. And that has hurt me. Emotionally, it's been incredibly tough. His broken, battered, busted up carcass that he's trying to mend 
to make his big comeback. It's over, Rick. And Roddy Piper, I tried to tell him. I tried. Liz, you know I tried. Didn't I? I, I, I tried. Didn't I try? Didn't I try? Didn't I tell Piper to stay in Portland, stay home, take care of your six kids, be an actor, be a movie star, do commercials, but don't get in the ring with Hollywood Hogan. But did he listen? I feel bad about that. I do. <laughs> but I'll, I'll get over it. You know, when you're the king, you have people wanting to get into your organization. Some of them deserve a shot. Most of them don't. The wannabes, the has-beens, the misfits, the giant. I can't believe this big idiot. The opportunity of a lifetime. He fumbled at the goal line. It never could have been. You know, Liz, what are the two things that Randy Savage wanted most? Come on. I bet you know. Tell us. Come on, Andy. Come on. Come on. Come on. I'll tell you. The two things that the macho man Randy Savage wanted more than anything else in life was Liz and my hair. <laughs> their careers have come and their careers have gone. And that hurts me. You know, it hurts me. Here. Deep down. You know how I feel. It's a feeling. It's a presence. It's also the ability to manipulate and to manipulate people. Wouldn't you agree to that, Liz? Come on. Come on. I know you agree with me. The NWO will always go on because it is NWO for life. It's my life. And it's your life, too. And it's your life, too, isn't it, Liz? <laughs> we love you. We really do. <laughs> God, I love being me. I love being king. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, Eric is sitting astride a Harley Davidson and bragging about how cool he and the NWO <laughs> are as Liz films him with a handheld camera. He says that Hogan bought him this bike and talks for a while about his guilt at seeing Flair's beaten down old carcass. Oh. He also says he tried to help Hi Piper by telling him to stay in Portland and raise his kids rather than come to fight Hulk Hogan. Bischoff then says the two things Randy Savage wants most in this world are Elizabeth and Eric's hair. Which, <laughs> which I actually thought that was a pretty good line. Yeah. I. I laughed at that. That was good. Although, really, who who doesn't want to have the Eric Bischoff haircut? Like his hair is outstanding. <laughs> that jet black hair. Yeah, it's it's pretty great. Eric says that he has the ability to manipulate people. Needles Liz for a while and says the NWO is for life. <laughs> Eric proclaims that he loves being himself, loves being king, and it's a beautiful thing. Says Eric Bischoff to close the promo. Uh, I summarized it a lot. It kind of, if there's one negative I had about it, it's that it went on too long. But I actually got to say, I thought it was really good. I think Bischoff's delivery on promos is pretty excellent. He's the smug, smarmy asshole that I think uh, is definitely a reflection of some of his real-life personality. But he knows how to channel that mm -hmm. for the right kind of wrestling heat, I think. Uh, and, and I just thought this was very effective. And I still think the... The unique NWO music video style editing is really effective in making things 
um, you know, by being able to cut it up and, and take out the ums and uhs and anything stupid that he said, it really just it makes it into a much more like digestible, smooth, uh, polished package. Magnum, what did you make of Eric Bischoff's promo? Yeah, I totally agree because uh, it took me a minute to appreciate what was happening because at first I was like, oh, what is this? Can we just watch the nasty boys come out and fall down by accident or something? <laughs> and then I, as I started listening, I was like, oh, this is actually pretty good. He's he's getting he's getting that character across. I love the setup, like the um, the video screen in the background playing the NWO logo and everything. Uh, the, the only thing that confuses me and still to this day confuses me is the Elizabeth angle, because I know that there's a whole thing where she's oh, kind God. of like reluctantly in the NWO, but kind of not. So like I found that to be uncomfortable where he's like prodding her and telling her to like move closer with the camera. And she seems really reluctant. Like it's, it's, it's a weird yeah. scene. <laughs> Yeah, and we've been watching every week, and we couldn't make heads or tails of that any more than you can at this point. It's it's very unclear how unwilling she is and what exact Like, it seemed like the only thing that was keeping her there was Hulk Hogan was telling her that she was going to get some movie parts out of the yeah. deal. So, like, it, she's not kidnapped, but at, at I think when she first got there, she was kidnapped, yeah. and then maybe that was too too strong for them so they changed it to this more like no she wants the the fame and money that the hulkster can give her because like they have not acted like she was full-on kidnapped in months mm -hmm. um but since they never really like said why they change it from <laughs> kidnapping like you're just it's it feels like they kidnapped her and they've had her for six months at this point and why isn't why aren't the police involved like, yeah <laughs> right. that's what i'm saying like as a as a writer as someone who's produced wrestling the fact that kidnapping for huge amounts of time was on the table just seems completely <laughs> out of this world to me. <laughs> Back in the arena, Ultimo Dragon and Dean Malenko are ready to go. Another match on tonight's show that will also be happening on tomorrow night's show. <laughs> and here to call all the action is our master of redundancy, Dave Amantor. Well, I was going to mention at the beginning that um, after that Bishop promo, um, we returned to the ring. Um, where, like you said, Ultimo Dragon and Dean Malenko are ready to get the title match started. We've talked before how you never hear Dave Penzer, so you, you never hear if it's a title match. But in this case, you have the referee holding up the ch championship for the, for the crowd to see, which is always an indication that the belt is on the line. Much like uh, the previous match I did of Chris Jericho and Alex Wright, uh, this match began with a series of wrist locks. But in this match, Dragon follows up with a drop kick. Uh, he riddles Malenko with a series of kicks, ending in the spinning heel kick. That's kind of a a, a patented series of, that he does of kicking the legs and then turning around and doing that back spinning heel kick. Mm -hmm. uh, he whips Malenko into the ropes, but Dean has recovered long enough to hit a spinning scoop slam for a two count. Uh, he hits another one out of the corner for another two count. And at this point, Malenko has taken control of the match, hitting the champion with a brain buster before settling with a reverse chin lock. Uh, whip off the ropes is the opening dragon needed, knocking Malenko out of the ring with a handspring back elbow, but he misses his follow-up of a cross-body block to the floor when Malenko simply walks out of the way. <laughs> uh, back, <laughs> uh, back in the ring, the two trade-off pinning combinations to no avail. Uh, Malenko uh, heads to the corner, but Ultimo Dragon caught him in time to hit a twisting her Karana for a big pop and a long two-count. Uh, Dean Malenko recovers and tries for a second brain buster, but Ultimo Dragon whips his opponent to the ground, 
before executing, a, I believe it's pronounced a La Magistral, that earns him the pinfall victory. Uh, this this is the longest match of the night at just over four minutes. Wow. Um, hmm. I also wanted to note that I, I went on to Google to make sure I spelled La Magistral correctly. And the first most popular result I got was a case of The Undertaker doing it to Brock Lesnar. Uh, <laughs> which is as, as you would expect. Which was as good as you can imagine. <laughs> uh, this was the, the match that the ECW chant happened in. And, uh, you know, I'm normally, especially with the big companies, with WWF and, and WCW, I'm normally of the opinion, like, hey, they pay their money if they want to, you know, reject what they're seeing mm-hmm. as a means of, like, telling, you know, the the production or the company, like, hey, we want something different. I normally don't have a problem with that. But if you're watching fucking Dean Malenko and the Ultimo Dragon in January of 1997 put on a match, yeah. and your response is to chant for ECW, where you could see Balls Mahoney and the Sandman hit each other with Singapore canes, <laughs> like, if that's what you want to watch... Just go home and watch it. Don't come to yeah. Nitro. You yeah. know what I mean? Well, it's funny that you mentioned that because, I, you know, I mentioned earlier that I had wrestled with Norman Smiley, and we actually ended up having several matches together, and I just sat with him uh, in the locker room and at dinner afterward and just listened to every story he had to tell. And he talked about one of his first matches with WCW was on a Nitro with uh, Dean Malenko. And mm. uh, he said, uh, you know, they got to the back – and the crowd was quiet all through the match. They they popped for a couple of moves, but they were just silent all through the match until the finish, and they popped for the finish, and that was it. And Norman went to the back and went up to Dean, and he said that uh, he said, "Dean, I'm so sorry. I I, I you know I, I hate that I had a stinker for you out there." And Dean didn't know what he was talking about. And Norman's like, "Well, they didn't make a sound. They, they you know they was they were silent. They're sitting on their hands. I'm so sorry. I'm so embarrassed." And Dean said, "That just means that they're listening. They're watching." Like when they're quiet like that, it's not bad. He's like, now if they started talking to each other, or I guess in this case, chanting ECW, maybe that's bad. But when they're quiet, so if you watch these Dean Malenko matches and they're quiet, that's kind of what Dean was going for. Hmm. Interesting. Um, I also think it's it's kind of um, it's kind of weird to be chanting ECW, especially <laughs> since Dean Malenko was in ECW. Yeah. Right. Right. And that, that's right. where he's known from, and that's how he came to WCW in the first place. So kind of doing it to an ECW alumni, uh, I don't. That, it just seems like kind of a weird place to be chanting for ECW. I wonder if it was a case of those people trying to let everyone else know that they knew that Dean Malenko was in ECW. You know, like like mm. it's like if you ever talk about wrestling with someone and they really want to let you know that they know the guy's real name. Like I, I was talking about the Steiner. <laughs> I, I was talking about the Steiner brothers one time to a guy I was in, I was in a, a, a musical one time and one of the guys building this set, it turns out he was a wrestling fan. And I was like, Oh man, have you seen this? And I showed him like a gif of Scott Steiner just destroying someone. And he's like, Oh yeah. And I was like, Oh, you know, the Steiners. He goes, Oh, the Rex Steiners. Yeah. I know the Rex Steiners. And I was like, oh, uh... <laughs> <laughs> And that was the last <laughs> conversation you had with him. <laughs> yeah, well, see you later, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> the Dragon now has two consecutive wins over Malenko. This one clean as a sheet. Uh, despite the presence of Sonny Ono, there was no interference. And that sets up their cruiserweight title match tomorrow night. Uh, just... uh, the finish of this match is, of course, your Pet Boys Power <laughs> Pin of the Week. <laughs> uh, just, a, just a side note. Um 
I feel like over the last few weeks, a uh, couple of times we've seen Ultimo Dragon. Now, I, I, I might not know exactly how it works for wrestlers that, that typically use Mist, that if they still have, if they still use... Ah, the red in his mouth. is. Yeah, because I keep seeing it after some of his matches when he doesn't use Mist, and I, I just wonder if he's like, yeah. if he's just really prone to biting his lip, or is that the case where he has it in his mouth regardless, just in case? I, I just don't really know what his tendencies are. I was wondering the exact same thing because I noticed that and I was like, gosh, this guy seems to be bleeding in the mouth a lot. <laughs> and it didn't even occur to me to wonder if maybe he's got unused mist packets just <laughs> sitting in there. <laughs> maybe he maybe he just has the Kool-Aid mouth. You know, he chugged a bunch of Kool-Aid before he came. <laughs> right. I wonder, though, it is like, wouldn't it be great if Ultimo Dragon was playing off this subtext for months of like, you never know when the mist is going to come and someone's going to notice that I Ooh. have it on my lips, you know? I, I mean, I could totally buy it uh, of a of a Japanese wrestler or a wrestler that typically use mist. That's always like, I just have it in my mouth like every match because you never know yeah. when it's going to when the opportunity is going to arise to use it anyway. Uh, but I did like this was the first week where I noticed I'm like, it seems like there's red on his mouth like after every match, regardless of what happens. Tony, thanks, Larry, as we go to the top of the hour break. As when we come back, Tony is uh, joined, as he is usually in hour number two, by Bobby the Brain Heenan, who gets a nice weasel chant from the crowd, and Mike Tanay. Tanay says, <laughs> says that he has analyzed the events of the first hour <laughs> and is now more confused than ever about Sting. <laughs> <laughs> I love that he's just back there pouring over the replay, making notes, uh-huh. drawing diagrams. <laughs> right. He's gonna, he's gonna crack the case, you guys. <laughs> he's got like an abacus and one of those uh, TI eighty eight uh, calculators. If, it, if if you turn it upside down, it says boobs. <laughs> yeah. he, there's like the there's the chalkboard, and the chalkboard is just filled with this like long formula. And at the end, yeah, at the end it just the Goodwill Hunting style. One. Yeah, and at the end it just says yeah. Sting with a question mark on it, and he's just like standing there, like looking at it, like hmm, I'm gonna get this. This is the first shot where I noticed that Tony is wearing a Chicago Blackhawks jersey. It's way too big for him. Yeah. It looks like when your girlfriend puts on one of your dress shirts, yes. right, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like he made it himself. It, it's funny because I, I made this note because I like Tony Schiavone and I'm sure he's a nice guy. But every time I see Tony Schiavone, if he's in anything but a suit, it looks ridiculous. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. We see some replays of Savage and Sting from the opening segment. Heenan, <laughs> Heenan says... Sting must have rappelled down from 20 stories up. <laughs> right. Like, we can see what the outside of the arena looks like. If there were a 20-story basketball arena, it would be insane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when the replays are done, we have our third match tonight that has no ring entrances as television champion Steven Regal and Jacques Rougeau are in the ring. Jacques orders the Illinois Hillbillies to stand and join him in the Canadian National Anthem. He does his usual bad singing shtick, uh, just kind of getting bored with it. He, he doesn't get cut off. He just stops doing yeah. it this time. Uh-huh. Uh, and I thought it was kind of apropos because I don't uh, maybe this is a spoiler. And if it is, I'll just edit this part out. But Magnum, there's kind of a, a hidden scene in your documentary featuring the Canadian National Anthem. That's true. From Greektown Wrestling, one of my favorite places on earth is, is Greektown in Toronto. And uh, I, I had that clip 
where I got, you know, 500 uh, of the greatest fans in Canada singing the national anthem, and I couldn't figure out where to put it in the documentary. My wife was like, just put it after the credits. And I was like, oh, <laughs> great idea. So it's in there. But, you know, the funniest thing to me about this segment is not only is is, is Jacques not committed at all to the to the scene at all. Like he's not <laughs> he's not ready to see this through to the end. Is as soon as he says he's going to sing the national anthem and everyone needs to stand up, Bobby Heenan says, Tony, sit down. <laughs> You're right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, before we dive into the match, I wanted to ask you, Magnum, uh, you know, you've, you've, I think you're somebody who proudly wears your wrestling influences on your sleeve. Yeah. Um, but one name I, I didn't hear, at least in the documentary or in things I've, I've heard you speak on before, is Steven Regal. Yeah. But I thought watching a lot of your matches as Magnum, a lot of your mannerisms really seem to be Regal inspired to me. And I was wondering, is that somebody who you felt like uh, you took stuff from and you look to? Um, or or is it just you, maybe you're taking it more of a Terry Funk style and I'm just kind of no. interpreting it as No, Regal. 100%. I mean, uh, so Terry Funk was a, a huge, huge influence on me for sure. But um, I grew up in the Saturday night, WCW Saturday night era, and Steven Regal was on there every week, man. And, and I loved it. And that's around 1995, 96, I started realizing I like the bad guys. Like, oh, wait, I, I like Rick Rude. I like, you know, I like Ric Flair. Oh, man. And uh, so I used to love it when Regal was on because I I thought he was hilarious, but I did a seminar um, and I had a match at uh, Evolve and um, William Regal was there and I probably took more notes than everybody. I mean, I filled up a notebook full of notes and he gave me stuff that is not only good for wrestling, it's good, it's good for acting and theater in general. And mm-hmm. just from that talk, I started realizing like, oh my God, he knows so much about playing a, a comedic wrestling villain. And I just started embodying the stuff that he was telling us to do. And it, it was, it just worked perfectly. Like I can give you one thing that'll probably blow your mind. I never thought of, he would always do this thing. Like he was always a bad guy. And, uh, you know, he would talk about, you know, they'd put me against Lex Luger. Well, what people don't realize is Steven Regal is taller than Lex Luger. I mean, he's a bigger, he's a humongous guy. I mean, he's like six foot four. Mm-hmm. So what he would do is he would crouch down and look all villainous so that, when the camera was behind him and they were showing Lex Luger in the background looking at him, William Regal looked smaller than Lex Luger. And then he would Interesting. Yeah, and then he would not stand all the way up until he cheap shotted Luger and got Luger down. Then Steven would stand up straight like, Look how tough I am <laughs> I'm gonna see that every time now. Yeah. That's um that reminds me of when I first heard Lanny Poffo point out that Macho Man was always on his tiptoes yep, yep. to come across taller, and now all that's all I can see when I watch Macho Man. No, well, see, that blew my uh, mind because I thought Macho Man did that because he played baseball, and they tell you all the time in baseball, get up on your toes because you move faster. Oh, sure, But yeah. to, to make himself taller, that's that's brilliant. That's, hilarious. that's that's a total Macho Man thing to do. Uh, Regal, we already had one last-minute change back in the Jericho-Alex Wright match. Uh, Regal was also supposed to have a different opponent tonight. He was supposed to defend against LaParca, who arrived late due to travel issues. He got there, but his luggage, which contained his costume and mask, hadn't arrived. So even though LaParca was in the building, uh, he couldn't perform because he didn't have his gear. So that's why we've got Jacques Rougeau. Uh, The amazing French Canadians, one of two tag teams doing singles duty tonight. 
it it feels as if like half the roster must be on an overseas <laughs> trip or something. It, yeah, I was gonna mention that as far as like I mean we'll get to it towards the end of the show, but like uh, two different tag teams have individual singles matches. They take up about Harlem Heat and Amazing French Canadians take up about half the matches tonight. Yeah. And it does seem like it's like a skeleton crew of some sorts. Like, are there people missing or something like that? It's a very, like, the matchups are very unusual. Yeah, in the case of at least this one, it was not what was on the originally on the format. The two men lock up and reverse arm holds a bit until Regal is whipped into the ropes where Colonel Robert Parker trips him. I, I do like these WCW matches. They do a lot where it's two heels and you just kind of figure out which one is the face by who's going to like do the dirty shit yeah, first right. it especially helps if one has a manager so since uh Rougeau has parker out there regal is kind of the de facto baby face for this one i was i was so confused because regal is almost always a heel in wcw and i was like what is happening so then he's a heel most of the match until they start double teaming him but i i was even more confused by what the hell is Colonel Parker wearing? <laughs> yeah, right. He's yeah. This is uh, his Legionnaire days. He's a he's a Legionnaire for the Amazing French Canadians with his drawn on pencil thin mustache. Yes, and he looks like it's one of stuff. the first people who would get shot by Indiana Jones. <laughs> <laughs> Rigaud starts laying in the boots, and Regal rolls to the outside where he generously bumps for a punch by <laughs> Colonel Robert Parker. That also distracts him from noticing Jacques, who nails him from behind. Jacques then takes things back into the ring where he stays in control until telegraphing a back body drop and eating a Regal kick and a couple of European uppercuts. Regal tries coming off the ropes, but Parker grabs his foot again, so this time Regal stomps Parker's fingies. <laughs> The Canadians abandon the match and focus on revenge as Rougeau holds Regal so that Parker can enter the ring and hit him, but Regal dodges and Parker instead hits Jacques. Parker then takes a wild swing at his lordship, but Regal ducks it and gives Parker an atomic drop. The Canadians collide and Parker takes a pretty sweet bump off of getting run into by Jacques. Regal is suddenly a fiery baby face as he dumps Parker to the outside and celebrates with the crowd behind him. It's like he's like, hey, you know what? For one night, I'm a baby face, so why not? Yeah. <laughs> so he's just looking at the crowd, pumping his fist and yelling, yeah, to whip him up. It's, pre it's pretty weird to see. Yeah, it's also weird because he's acting like a baby face and people are cheering. And then his heel classical music starts playing. Yeah. And it just takes yes. you right out of the moment. <laughs> He gets his belt from Mark Curtis, and we go to break with the promise of Benoit versus Kevin Sullivan on deck. Uh, this was another one of these very short matches without a ton to say about it. Uh, I do really enjoy Colonel Robert Parker. I like, I just, he does, him and Regal are a good combo yeah. because they like that old slapstick stuff of like, I'm going to stomp on your fingers and you're going to hop around and I'm going to give you an atomic drop so you can sell that your balls hurt. Yeah. It's just like that that kind of stuff. Those are two fun characters to play off each other. And given how um, given just what I can think of the rest of the Monday Night Wars, like I don't think we see any more interplay between those two particular characters. So I felt lucky to have a little bit here. 
I'm always excited anytime I see uh, a couple of guys together that look like uh, they make the match look like it could be taking place at your local fairgrounds. Like, and I mean that in the best way. Like, I don't like it's just yeah. overplayed and it's really uh, uh, funny and big facial expressions and big movements that kind of don't always make much sense. I, I love it. Unfortunately, uh, I did also notice like it, it, you can kind of notice it a bit each week, but. And, and this is mostly something maybe I'm picking up on a lot because I read his book and he talks about it. But, like, Regal is packing on weight right yes. now. Yes. He is looking more and more bulky every single week. And, and I think it is getting to the point where it's starting to affect it, his work a little yeah. bit. Um, but, again, it, his, his addiction problems were really starting to get bad at this point. So it might not be the weight as much as, as the pills and the – I forget whatever that I, I've mentioned on the show before. I, I can never remember the name. He's on some weird like diet drink that's essentially legal amphetamines oh, God. that were later outlawed. <laughs> and do we know? Do we know why he? One of his his knees has like the big protective pad on it. Is he sporting an injury? Is this something where is his knee like given in troubles because he's gaining weight? Like, do we know why he's wearing that? I think he's worn that ever since that clash of the champions where he did double duty and tore his knee. That was like, I think that was one year ago today, uh, not today, but I think that was January of um, 96. Oh, I think he's worn it ever since on that, on the knee that he tore. Oh, and is this something where he's just like, I'm just going to work through it. He hasn't. No, he, he, he took time off. Okay. So, you know, I don't know how much it's actively giving him pain or how much it's just to avoid any further issues with it. I guess I don't know, but I think that's when he started wearing it was after that incident. Oh, okay. After a commercial break, it's time for Lee Marshall, who is ostensibly <laughs> in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, the site of tomorrow's Clash of the Champions. Lee says that it's cold in Wisconsin, <laughs> but the Cheeseheads are, of course, excited for their Green Bay Packers to face the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl six days from today. Lee's shitty weasel joke of the week is asking the guys if they've ever tried sauerkraut and brat weasel. <laughs> Brat weasel. <laughs> the only thing I wrote down about Lee Marshall, and I hate to speak ill of the dead, but he sounds like a strip club DJ. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. He's got a definite on the main stage. We've got candy. Yeah. He's definitely got like a for sure. put your grinning, drop your linen vibe going. <laughs> yeah, I he doesn't, and I I I like Lee Marshall because yeah. he seems like a fun guy, but he doesn't. He never works for me because his voice is so big that no matter what he's saying, and and almost to a degree, Tanae is like this in a, although he doesn't have the voice, but they never quite sound genuine no, to me. No, never. Lee Marshall sounds like a broadcaster, and Tanae sounds like a bad actor, for lack of a, a better <laughs> description. Well, uh, once I found out that Lee Marshall um, did the Tony the Tiger voice. For a lot of those, right. uh, for those, yeah. for those commercials, like that's just something that could I could never like not think about, and and the fact that like <laughs> yeah. one of the wrestling commentators like does children's cereal just it, it <laughs> seems a little bit, it seems a little bit like a kind of like a childish thing to be put in there for something that like I mean at least at the time like I wanted to take wrestling seriously. Um, and knowing that, like, Tony the Tiger is trying to give you the, the lowdown <laughs> for the next Nitro <laughs> does throw you off a little bit. 
Man, they they burned a lot of energy sending Lee Marshall to wherever they were going to be the next week because I think later this year or the next year he would always be setting up the Nitro parties and they'd be like whatever city they were going to next week he would be there hanging out with a bunch of college kids having a Nitro party. But an, another thing that stuck out to me is one eight hundred collect. That's that's a whole industry that's dead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's something where if your kids are ever watching any old stuff with like you're gonna have to explain a lot to even get to the point where you can describe what 1-800-COLLECT did like you have to do so much groundwork just to get up to the point where you're ready to talk about it just to go back before we move on to something magnum said at this point uh since they're not filming any of it they are not sending lee marshall anywhere he's in the back uh on a he's just talking to a mic and they put a phone effect on it uh and the only reason I know that for sure is uh, there was one a couple weeks ago where he did a road report from wherever, but then after the show in a dark segment only seen on the stadium, he came out uh, He came out and did an interview, and someone, of course, reported that to Meltzer. Meltzer didn't report it like it was a breaking story. He was just like, uh, Lee Marshall came out. Apparently, he wasn't really in Baton Rouge or whatever. Right. Or whatever. I feel <laughs> so stupid for not figuring that out because I'm a I'm supposed to be a worker. They worked a worker because <laughs> what I thought was that he went to the town, you know, the week before to sell advertising or push tickets or something. But yeah, he's probably just sitting he's probably eight feet away from Tony Schiavone talking into a phone. <laughs> I think eventually they do film some stuff with Nitro Parties and he might get involved with that more. Um, and I know eventually, like, Ricky Rackman, the <laughs> former VJ, comes in and does some of that stuff. Uh, but, yeah, as of right now, Lee Marshall is literally just in the back pretending that he's in Milwaukee. Oh, that makes me so <laughs> sad. What a job, though. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> After that, it's time for Sullivan and Benoit. So here to call all the action is our bathroom correspondent, <laughs> Dave Amatorp. <Right. laughs> <laughs> so you have to give me, like... Uh, a muffled voice for this entire matchup. Yeah, muffled voice. I'll put in a flush sound effect. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll have a real morning zoo vibe. Right. Going well, on I mean, I mean, there we're as you'll see, we're going to be hitting the restroom in a few minutes anyway, so that's gonna that's gonna work out very well. <laughs> uh, my my first comment before we get into this is like I don't understand the reasoning of throwing this match out on Nitro tonight when they're going to have the big Paul's Count Anywhere match uh, the next night at Clash of the Champions. So I don't know why they couldn't, like, why wouldn't a, a Sullivan interview or something like that have suffice instead of kind of um, giving away this match for free, or not for free, but, like, less enticement to watch Clash I of the Champions. I get what games. you're saying. Yeah, um, yeah but, but to or even even do the exact same thing, but not have it be a match. Have Sullivan be cutting a promo and Benoit comes out and attacks him. Yes. And it becomes this exact scenario. Right. It is confusing that they're having the match the day before they have the match. But um, <laughs> apparently the explanation is that Tony Schiavone ca- keeps calling this a preview for tomorrow, which is like, I never heard of a match being a preview for the same match the next day, but uh, whatever. <laughs> uh, so Kevin Sullivan and Jimmy Hart make their entrance first. And there is no second entrance as Chris Benoit attacks Kevin Sullivan in the aisle. Um, it just it's a it's a interesting like visual to it because he attacks him while that whole dungeon of doom like uh, green coloring is there. So it's kind of like yeah. it takes you a second <laughs> to figure out exactly what's going on. 
Um, they immediately go into the crowd and head up the stairs, where they brawl in a very packed concourse. Um, you're going to get a few notes here as far as the security not keeping the fans the fuck away from these two wrestlers. <laughs> Man, they sure love that whole idea of going into the men's restroom, don't they? Because they did it yeah. at Great American Bash. I believe it's Great American yep. Bash that they had that match. Um, then there was the very like hyped-up house show in Chicago that was a few months ago. And I remember from the when we talked about what happened there, they went to the bathroom there, too. Yeah, and eventually they even showed footage of that uh, on Nitro. Oh, that's right, because that's when the Dungeon of Doom were like all in the bathroom waiting for him. It was something yep. like that. Um, yep. So I put it in here. We'll find out a Clash of Champions, but I am betting $10,000 that I don't actually have that they're going to be in the bathroom at Clash of Champions as well. <laughs> Me? Maybe that's why they did this on Nitro, because... Maybe there are logistical problems in the arena in Milwaukee and they can't get to the bathroom and they knew that it was expected. So they were like, look, we'll go on Nitro, yeah. we'll go in the bathroom, then no one has to bug us about it on Tuesday. <laughs> right. But either way, Eric Bischoff's like, I got to get that bathroom shot, though, okay? <laughs> we gotta, you got to give me that bathroom. <laughs> right. I went Regis Philbin for that impression of Eric Bischoff. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, the cameraman is like, fighting his way through this rest to the restroom because WSW has no plans when it comes to fans being in the vicinity for this angle. It's, right. it's just crazy. In the restroom, there's not a whole lot to say what they're doing in there. It's mainly punching and kicking and throwing each other into the walls, but it's just, there's a bathroom around here. Um, but I, I did want to note that this is the second time now that Doug Dillinger is sent flying onto his ass. Well, Doug Dillinger is a complete failure as the head of security. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> the best part is Dillinger hops out in front of, I think it's Benoit and just like stands there. Like, are you going to shove me? And then Benoit shoves him. It's like, like yeah. the only thing Dillinger had to do all day was get shoved by Benoit and he was damn sure going to get it in. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the one defense you could in a kayfabe sense as his job of head of security, the only defense would be like, well, who would expect that a match would go in the bathroom? Right. Except for the fact that any time these guys are in a match, it goes into the bathroom. <laughs> right. This was the most uh, expectable thing that could have happened in this match. I, I think the one thing that I thought was kind of like a cool spot in the bathroom was uh, Kevin Sullivan kept throwing Chris Benoit into like um, uh, a, a poster with like a plastic uh, pl plexiglass on it. And eventually it cracked and that gave Benoit the idea. I'm just going to tear this off and hit him with it. Um, and that seemed, mm -hmm. it seemed like a very improvised sort of thing. And it also just comes across as just like brutally violent because he's just tearing this thing off the wall just to hit him in the face with it. Um, <laughs> so I kind of I like that. Um, now we're back to more fucking chaos as they're trying to get through these fans again, um, trying to get back to the steps. And now we get the... Uh, Woman is straight up hitting yeah. fans with her high heels. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And yelling, get out of my way. Yeah. It's it's nuts. At one point, she you hear her go, move, god damn it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah well, woman, does, woman does not, <laughs> she does not take getting pushed around very lightly. Um, it, it was even to the point where I, one of the announcers mentioned that she was, she had her shoe off. So it was like, she was a, she was 
fighting back to the point in which the announcers couldn't ignore it pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> um, now we get to the other spot they like to do for these matches, which is Chris Benoit falling hard down concrete steps. So they do that. And now we're back in the aisle where Kevin Sullivan grabs a beer from a fan and throws it in Benoit's face. At this point, all the other fans are like, well, shit, if he's throwing beer, I'm going to throw beer as well. And <laughs> uh, which beers are being thrown at them. And by the time we get to the ring, both men are just drenched in beer. It's disgusting. And mm. this is when we learn that we're actually going to have a match after all. So the bell rings. After a body slam, Chris Benoit sets Kevin Sullivan on the top turnbuckle to attempt the uh, that super back suplex, which he's actually he's beaten guys before with that. Uh, but Kevin Sullivan simply punches his way out of the predicament. Uh, Sullivan then tries to set up Benoit in the tree of woe, but does not hook the foot in, so Benoit slips out. I can't tell if this was intentional or not, but uh, ben, there's kind of a, a moment where Sullivan slowly stalks to the other corner to run at him and doesn't realize that Benoit is right behind him. Uh, Benoit then unloads his chops, um, and his attempt at a regular back suplex is also thwarted, this time with a low blow, which Randy Anderson dramatically reacts to, but otherwise does nothing <laughs> about. Uh, there's a double noggin knocker, uh, and that is a cue for woman to get on the apron and scream about the and scream at the referee about God knows what. <laughs> okay, so now things get a little bit weird. While Randy Ad- Anderson is distracted, Jimmy Hart hands Kevin Sullivan the ring bell, which is under the ring. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What? How? It, it's it's like a spare ring bell, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> hey, they they had that Turner money, man. Yeah, and and they're like, listen, we have to have at least a backup one. You have no idea where the ring bells go after the shows. Um, uh, Chris Benoit heads to the top. And I think you know what's going to happen next with Kevin Sullivan holding the bell. We get a diving headbutt <laughs> directly on the ring bell. I hear the bell ring. I have no idea if that is added on afterwards. It's it's not legit. It's it for one thing. It doesn't happen at the right moment. It comes like a full second too early. Okay. <laughs> and I just don't think you could possibly. I mean, you could. God, God help you. But I don't think you could quite get that sound out of a bell by hitting your head on it. But yeah, this one, they don't time it perfectly, so it is, if you watch it again, you'll see it's like a second too early, and they're just hitting the bell. They're hitting the real ring bell at the time that he's hitting this, like, second bell. Oh, okay, okay, that makes sense. Um, so, yes, we get the diving headbutt onto the ring bell. Uh, that knocks out Chris Benoit, and Kevin Sullivan rolls on top of Benoit and gets the pinfall victory. I know... They called it like a preview for their match at Clash of the Champions the next night. I still I like that. The idea of Kevin Sullivan getting the win over that, it, it's just very it's very confusing. And I feel like it puts a less of an emphasis on the, ne- the match next night because now it's like, does Benoit have to get the victory back or exactly what's going to happen? But other than that, yeah. this also is just like it's playing the classic hits of the Kevin Sullivan, Chris Benoit fights through the crowd. And, and right. like I said, now I have a growing concern that we're going to get the classic hits tomorrow as well. Uh, one thing that was interesting was Kevin Sullivan, I believe, bladed. I don't it might have been hard way, but I think he bladed. He's bleeding from the forehead, but like just barely. Mm-hmm. And I'm thankful because otherwise, as we saw during that Regal Benoit match a few weeks ago, they like will pull the camera way. Yes. Back. 
But in this case, they keep it on him, and we're allowed to see that he's bleeding, <laughs> and it's not treated like the end of the world that there's a trickle of blood on television. Right. That's the, the crazy thing is who knows where that came from. It could have been the plexiglass or whatever. But um, there's also a, a really hilarious moment, uh, unintentionally hilarious, where uh, uh, Sullivan gives Benoit an atomic drop, and <laughs> Benoit hits into the corner chest first and bounces back and they're doing that collision spot like oh their heads hit but mm. sullivan looks like he wants to do anything but take a bump <laughs> like, <laughs> like he does that thing like if you ever watch those compilations of soccer players pretending that they got fouled like <laughs> he like gets hit and like waves his arms around and stumbles around and then like slowly lays down <laughs> sullivan and hart head to the back in a celebratory mood woman tends to benoit in the ring after commercials, Tony tries to hype the main event of Saturday Night Sold Out, but the NWO music plays and out comes Bischoff, Nax, Six, and the B-Squad guys. They hit the announce booth and the announcers scramble. Eric tosses it to the ring for what he says will be tag team action, but is actually Hacksaw Jim Duggan versus Pierre Carl Ouellette. <laughs> uh, the NWO are basically just here to do commentary the second half of the show. Another thing they describe as a preview for Sold Out, yeah. Uh, so if you want to spend $35 to hear Kevin Nash entertain himself for three hours, <laughs> that will be an option for you come Saturday, January 25th. Oh, boy. Ouellette grabs the mic to do the same Canadian anthem thing that we just saw from Rougeau like 12 minutes ago, but he's cut off much earlier by Jim Duggan's theme. Duggan, after Pyro, makes his way to the ring with his flag and his 2x4. Eric says that he's going to change the show up a little bit, as Masahiro Chono flew all the way from Tokyo to wrestle but isn't on the show, so he changes the upcoming David Taylor versus Psychosis match to Taylor versus Chono instead. Hacksaw takes early control with clotheslines as Eric makes another change. Rick Steiner was to face Booker T, but instead that will now be Scott Hall versus Booker T in Hall's first singles match in WCW. Hmm. Rougeau walks to the ring and distracts Duggan, allowing Ouellette to attack him from behind. Ouellette does a top rope guillotine leg drop for two, as Nash says Sullivan and Benoit should handle things the way he does, by saying, quote, Hey, sweetheart, the money is on the dresser. I'll see you later. <laughs> that 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 was an uncomfortable bit of commentary. <laughs> right. For sure. How, how weird is it that Duggan doesn't have the American flag, but he has this big, ugly WCW flag, and he, he's not wearing his blue gear he's wearing purple and yellow or purple and gold like the wcw oh colors. i didn't pick up on the new gear that's interesting. it's it's odd because all you know when you think about duggan all i ever think about is just blue tights blue knee pads and blue boots so when you see him in anything else right. it's like why <laughs> it's like when you're a kid and your dad shaves his mustache and you're like you're not dad anymore <laughs> like, <laughs> i i just went from a a full big bushy beard to a goatee and my daughter, she's three. She's been telling me ever since, I can see the seeds on your face. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I'm going back to bed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's three in the morning. Please shut up. <laughs> the Steiners come to ringside and Rick fights with Rougeau to distract Mark Curtis, making way for Scott to waffle Ouellette and Hacksaw to tape his fist to get the punch and the quick and easy win. Mark Curtis uh, sees the tape. He sees the punch. It's it used to be something that was illegal, but I feel like we've pointed out so many times now that the ref sees him do yeah. it that I I think I just have to accept that taping your fist is legal. 
And the more confusing thing is why Hacksaw doesn't just do it before he gets to the match. Why does he wait until he's ready to win? Right. Yeah, that's the question I had, because what's illegal about it? Because Randy Savage tapes up his fists before every match. I mean, a lot of these guys have taped fists. So, yeah, why couldn't why couldn't Duggan just use a whole roll on each hand before he comes out? Yeah, he was like doing it and it used to be sneaky and illegal. And then he had like in even order to tape his fist, there had to be a special match. He had a tape fist match against uh, Bubba, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. Uh, so, like, that was a specific type of match, but just as the months have gone on, he has just kept up the gimmick and has just been more and more lackadaisical about when he does it, and the refs have 100% chosen to it. Somet- I shouldn't say 100% they ignore it. Sometimes they try to stop him, but they never DQ him yeah. if they can't. <laughs> also, it's the worst tape job. I mean, it's almost impressive at how he does it because he just, like, he starts it and then just <laughs> yeah. swings his arm around with a tape flies around, but it just looks like a big, like, it looks more like a cushion than a tape knuckle. Yeah. <laughs> we go to break, returning, unfortunately, to learn that the NWO is still on commentary. They show replays of the last few weeks of the Diamond Dallas Page and NWO saga. As the replays run, some of the crowd start chanting, boring, and Nash and Eric do bad Marlon Brando impressions. <sighs> Long story short, the NWO thought Page had potential, and now they want to beat him up. <laughs> Squire David Taylor comes to the ring, and he's now a horse guy, apparently. <laughs> like a horse enthusiast. I have I have no idea what they're going for there, but they're not they're not <laughs> nailing it. He he yeah. has on Jodpers a little hat and vest and is holding a riding crop. Uh and between this new look for him and the fact that Regal now has different music, so they no longer share a theme, I guess the association between the two must be finished for now. At well, least. here's what I like to imagine. I like to imagine that his bag got lost at the airport, and that's just what he wore on the plane. <laughs> <laughs> or or he and an equestrian had matching suitcases. <laughs> <laughs> Also, I like to think that Dave Taylor and, and Regal were only hanging out because they had a mutual friend in Bobby Eaton. And yeah. then once Bobby <laughs> once Bobby left and they're like, no, we, we don't really want to hang out with each other anymore. We do, like, we're not really that it, good friends, actually. You know, we don't, without Robert the Earl of Eaton here, it's yeah. we don't have nothing to talk about. <laughs> right. <laughs> Masahiro Chono makes his way to the ring with the NWO B team music, and Eric insists that Nick Patrick head down to the ring to referee this one. Here to call all the action involving this crooked official is our own officially crooked Dave Amator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean I made a note there about uh Nick Patrick going to the ring to officiate the match, which it got like I'm sitting here by myself, but I still roll my eyes at that idea. But anyway, Chono attacks Taylor from behind as the bell rings, which was a surprise to me because I was kind of expecting Dave Taylor to take the, the khaki pants off and have tights underneath. But nope, he is just going to go ahead and wrestle like that. Um, eventually, Chono drops uh, Taylor to the mat with an inverted DDT. He goes to the top and hits Squire David Taylor with a flying shoulder tackle, then proceeds to taunt his downed opponent. The two trade-off pinfall attempts, with the count four-day Taylor being considerably slower from Nick Patrick. Um, Nick Patrick, by the way, is, you can tell he's cool because his hat's on backwards. (laughs) (laughs) Nick Patrick's definitely doing what he thinks looks really cool. Uh, But he, I mean, he just looks like the, the, 
like the little kid brother that you have to have come hang out with you. <laughs> he looks like uh, I was Kenny Powers from Eastbound and Down. A hundred percent. I, uh, you know, I was thinking about this a little bit during the Bishop promo. Even though I liked the Bishop promo, he's not an especially cool person to me. No. And I was just thinking about how funny it is that like Nash and Hall, who at least by the uh, what we were seeing in '97, were certainly cool. Yeah. Uh, like very cool. And then like you just throw in Hogan who has kind of managed to skate by by occasionally like guessing something that he thinks other people <laughs> yeah. will think is cool and then he like acts like it as much as he can, you uh-huh. know? Uh, but like you just start adding more and more uncool people and the NWO has become very quickly and rapidly an uncool group that's led by two cool yes. guys. Yeah. Yes. I, yes. I mean it's like I mean like if I go, if I'm going to a party, I kind of want to hang out with Hall and Nash, but it's like, yeah, but then I might get caught t- talking with like Wall Street or yeah. Bubba. <laughs> and I don't know if that's a risk that's worth taking, you know. Yeah, and you know, and 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 Vincent's gonna need a ride home. Oh God, he, yeah, he <laughs> is. He did not plan a ride home. He's going to want to stop at Denny's on the way, uh, and he left his wallet in his <laughs> other pants. He's going to need a place to stay for a couple, three weeks. <laughs> so I'm going to leave the party now, and I'm going to return back to doing this match. <laughs> uh, Taylor flips out of a backslide attempt and knocks Chono to the mat with a drop kick, and then out of the ring with a flying double axe handle smash. However, back in the ring, it's all Chono as he hits Taylor with an atomic drop, drop kicks him to the mat, and then slaps on an STF for the submission victory. Um, yeah, so it's a very short match again. It's about two minutes long. I felt like I just was very aware that like Chono just is kind of an awkward guy in the ring. He he kind of he moves like he's way bigger than he actually is. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, because I'm not super familiar with this period of New Japan, I would love to see, because I know he was a huge name, he won a bunch of G1s, mm-hmm. like, I feel like I need to get on New Japan World and go back and actually see him in his element, yeah. because in the two matches I've seen, the one with Jericho and the one with David Taylor, I'm, yeah, I'm kind of the same way, I'm like, boy, I, I don't quite get it, he, he does not seem to be that good in the ring, mm-hmm. but... Like, I just know based on reputation that, like, certainly I must be wrong. So I do feel like I have to see him within, like, the context that his career is normally considered. You know yeah. what I mean? Uh, this match had one of my favorite things to always point out, and that is a USA chant in a match involving no Americans. <laughs> <laughs> is it for Nick Patrick, maybe? <laughs> Patrick raises Shono's hand, and Eric tells us that up next will be Scott Hall in action. After break, Booker T comes out, accompanied by Sherry, ready to face Scott Hall. Booker shouts out to all his homies back in the hood, and Nash calls him a bass-fishing OG. <laughs> and I don't know what that means, and I don't know that I want to find yeah, out. Don't, don't, I, I wouldn't, uh, if you're on like a work computer or something, I wouldn't Google that. <laughs> I, I, I kept, because I think he says it a second time about him being a fisherman, and I, I'm guessing that's just like, like inside jokes about like how Booker T's actually like a real redneck kind of guy in real life. Yeah, maybe. Oh, I was going to say backstage jokes about how he, fishing for women. Like he's, uh, Oh, he's good at picking up the ladies. That was kind of what I was. Oh, maybe he said ass fishing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Oh, right. <laughs> Scott Hall walks to the ring, soaking in the cheers, of the crowd. Yeah. 
He is wearing his tag belt. Good on him. Uh, I, we always enjoy when a guy brings out a belt, and I hate when a tag guy leaves it in the back. Like, be proud of that yeah. belt. Nash says that he and Hall had a match that opened this building, and the match to which he is referring was Razor Ramon versus Diesel, held on August 29th, 1994, which was indeed the first wrestling card held in the United Center a mere 11 days after the arena opened. Uh, that would, of course, be SummerSlam 94, yeah. right? Should have had that there in my notes. Eric says that Nash told him that fact last night as they watched, quote, that mess of a pay-per-view, <laughs> taking a shot at the Royal Rumble. Eric then says that people should quit wearing NWO merch to the competition shows because he just feels so guilty. You know, they're not doing so well over there, and he just hates to see them treated that way, I guess. <laughs> well, he, Bischoff <laughs> is making a terrible mistake, which is right now, uh, WCW is winning pretty handily in the ratings war. And when you're winning, you never talk about the other guys. But when you're losing, you only talk about the other guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the announcers marvel at all the NWO fans in attendance, with Nash saying he hasn't seen this many black T-shirts since the 1977 Fog Hat tour. <sighs> I, I don't... Yeah. And all the old men burst out laughing i, I just I, I think that's a joke that they all laughed at because they probably didn't understand what he was saying but they knew that it had the timing and cadence of a joke right. <laughs> well, speaking of the fans there's one guy who i had to rewind and watch him a couple of times because he's in the one of the front rows and they cut to the crowd during hall's entrance and this guy's wearing an nwo shirt but that's not good enough he pulls up his shirt and on his belly oh, yes. he wrote nwo and black shoe polish. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And he he, he stands out because he's kind of like having trouble getting his shirt up and pointing his belly at the camera successfully. It's just he's probably a little drunk to be doing that many things at once. Yeah, he's a, he, it was like watching a Mongo <laughs> McMichael spot. Uh, Nash then does a mean gene bit saying that people in the NWO are sleeping with each other and he'll tell you all about it if you call his 1-900 number. <laughs> right. I don't want to know who in the NWO is sleeping with whom in the NWO. Uh, Nick Patrick, also refing this one, calls for the bell and we are underway as Hall and Book stare each other down. Hall throws his toothpick in Booker's face and gets slapped for it. Hall boots Booker in the gut, works his arm a bit, then suplexes him. Hall pisses Booker off, slapping the back of his head a bunch while controlling the arm, and Booker reverses the hold and takes down Hall with a hook kick. It's like, it's a pretty good hook kick, and Bischoff, because uh, he loves showing off that he knows the name of martial arts type moves, yeah. he just starts marveling over the hook <laughs> kick, completely forgetting that he's supposed to be cheering for Scott Hall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine if Shivani had been on the call, he would have called it a back leg front kick. <laughs> they lock up, and Booker takes control with strikes and a shoulder block. Hall avoids an elbow drop, but, but can't dodge a jumping wheel kick, and though Hall was cheered as he made his entrance, Booker's offense is drawing loud cheers as well. Booker gets a two count, and both men rise to their feet. Off the ropes, Booker ducks a Hall clothesline and tries a splash, but Hall catches Booker T in midair, an impressive show of strength because Booker's a big yeah. dude. And Hall hits the fallaway slam, my favorite Scott Hall move. Booker recovers and manages a twisting crossbody off the top rope, but Nick Patrick slow counts him, allowing Hall to kick out at two. 
Booker attacks Nick Patrick, allowing Scott Hall to sneak in and attack him from behind. Buff Bagwell then runs down out of nowhere to argue with Sherry, which actually doesn't play into anything, (laughs) which makes me think either Sherry was supposed to get on the apron and didn't, so Buff didn't get the cue he was supposed to, or there was some other cue that Buff missed and he's late in getting the ring, one or the other. And Hall hits the outsider edge for the victory. Uh, This was another really short one, but it was probably on the better side of matches tonight just because Scott Hall and Booker T are, you know, those are good guys to have in the ring. Uh, Dave, do you like this one? Yeah, for the for the short period that it was uh, going on, I I kind of just let myself get distracted just thinking about like like yeah, it's like Booker T's kind of looked as like a tune up for Scott Hall at this point, but then kind of thinking about like how, what a big like single star Booker T ends up being, it's just kind of weird that that this is what he looked was looked at as far as singles action was concerned back in the day. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean. It does seem like a lot of these like shorter matches, even though if some of them are not great, almost every one of them is serving uh, as like some sort of uh, a hype up for either a clash of the champions or sold out. So a lot of a lot of uh, storylines are kind of being pushed along here tonight. Magnum, how'd you like Hall versus Booker? I wish this would have been a seven or eight minute match. Uh, I these are two of my yeah. favorites, especially during this time period. And um, what you say about Booker T is true. I mean he held up the the mid card of WCW for you know five or six years I mean he really was just a super talent and I love Harlem Heat and he, he's definitely the you know my opinion the the kind of better better worker of the two in that sense but I would love oh, to see for uh, sure. Hall and Booker I would watch you know I'd watch them go for on TV seven eight nine minutes would have been fantastic yeah absolutely I, I definitely think the biggest negative you could say in this match was that it had no time Sherry and Bagwell argue in the aisle as Hall celebrates his win and uh, says to the camera, warning Luger that the total package is next, as, of course, they will be squaring off tomorrow night. We go to commercial and learn that the NWO do indeed have their own hotline you can call for <laughs> $1.59 per minute. Dang. And that's, that's 1997 yeah. money, too. Kids, get your parents' permission to call. For the second segment in a row, we start with a Harlem Heat theme, as this time it's Stevie Ray who comes out with Sherry. Stevie also does the stereotypical WCW thing where it's like they didn't tell the wrestler that they were going to have Pyro, so they Mm -hmm. just get to the end of the ramp and just kind of stand there, and then Pyro goes off behind them, and then they just continue about their business. (laughs) (laughs) For that moment, it did look pretty cool for him. Over like the weeks and months of Nitro, it's almost random as far as like what guys get pyro. I mean, we yeah. talked about before that like Sergeant Greg Pittman like almost always gets pyro, and that doesn't <laughs> yeah. that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Nash asks, "Hey, didn't this guy just get beat up by Hall? Oh, oh wait, this is the other uh, one. Oh god, and we are mm. we are veering towards territory that I would strongly prefer <laughs> that my wrestling avoid. Now I will say that they are they are." blood brothers so like that's i i maybe he was completely innocent there but like it's just you got to know how that's going to come across and just don't just don't say it right out next is lex luger to a good reaction although honestly given how his reactions have been lately i thought that this pop was not what i would have expected he he's generally been the most over guy in the company Mm -hmm. this is the biggest crowd that we've ever seen them perform in front of and his pop not quite as huge as some other things that happen on the show. 
Well, I mean, I wonder, you know, this show, because this show to me was lopsided because it, it started off so hot. And then I feel like by mm-hmm. the time we get to the deep end of the second hour, it's like so much has happened and so many things have been a little confusing and kind of not really played out that by the time Luger comes out, it's just kind of like, oh, OK, Luger against uh, one of the Harlem Heat guys again. OK, all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. I would have cut this match. I, I mean, I think that instead of having this match, give Hall and Booker more time. Yeah. Well, there's yeah, there's like three matches you could cut. This <laughs> yes. one of them. That's true. <laughs> Nash puts over how good Luger looks and notes that he could look like that, but he would have to give up too many things in life that he enjoys. Right. <laughs> <laughs> There's no NWO member in this match, but Nick Patrick is still in the ring to call it, which Luger takes issue with. While Luger argues with Patrick, Stevie Ray attacks him, and Patrick calls for the bell. And here to call all the action is a man who's had his bell rung, Dave Amator. (laughs) Yeah, apparently I have. (laughs) I don't know. I got to come up with so many of these in episode, they're not all going to be winners. You're you're also, you're like the crowd, you're getting a little bit tired towards the end and uh, yeah. the effort's not just I'm punchy yes. yeah <laughs> right uh so yeah like Tim was saying um Luger was distracted by Nick Patrick which is natural because it's like why is the NWO referee here so Stevie Ray is able to get the uh the attack on him he beats Luger down in the corner and once Stevie Ray has that advantage then he realizes hey maybe I should ask Nick Patrick why he's in the ring so he goes and does that <laughs> which gives the total package time to recover uh, the total package then basically does the thing that happened to him as he beats Stevie Ray down in the corner with kicks and punches. Uh, he then turns to the crowd and flexes, but when he returns his attention to Stevie Ray, he gets tossed out of the ring by the tights. Uh, Stevie Ray is talking with Nick Patrick yet again. Apparently they have not resolved the issue as far as why Nick Patrick's in the ring. Only this time it also distracts him so Sherry can get her shots in on Luger. Uh, Back in the ring, Stevie tries to maintain control, but Luger counters with a power slam before motioning, it's time for the rack. Which, you were talking about the the crowd not being into him when he showed up. Uh, They're into him now. They're definitely definitely into the idea of the torture rack. Uh, Luger then gets him up in the torture rack, and Nick Patrick immediately calls for the bell, uh, seemingly without checking to see if Stevie even gave up, which upsets both wrestlers once the bell has rung. So, very short match, uh, which I was thankful for. Uh, I don't want to see Stevie Ray. Re- I mean, Luger has his issues in the ring, but he he looks like you know the Nature Boy Ric Flair in comparison to Stevie Ray wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> so Stevie Ray, like two and a half minutes, fine. I can I can I can live with that. I'm not gonna have any complaints about this because it was only two and a half minutes long. I just think I, for, this is a terrible matchup, and and Lex Luger always amazes me because he is very over. I mean, almost throughout his entire career, but he's always blown up. Like he's always completely out of breath. Oh yeah. He sells oh, yeah. like a big long like plank of wood. Like he, there's one there's one <laughs> there's one point where he gets clotheslined or tackled by Stevie Ray, and he, instead of like folding as he falls or whatever, he just falls totally straight and like like he's all one piece (laughs) (laughs) and and, uh this finish 
it falls totally flat. I mean, you know, like you mm. said, the crowd was up for the torture rack. They love it. They're ready to see it. And then Nick Patrick rings the bell, and it just deflates that balloon immediately. It makes no sense. I didn't get what was going on. I mean, I get what you you the way you describe it, Dave. Definitely seems like is kind of what happened that Nick Patrick just called for the bell too early. But like, I don't get why Luger is so mad about right. it. He won the match. Yeah. And yet afterward, he immediately goes over to Nick Patrick and starts having words with him. And I'm like, is Luger, is is Larry Fole pissed off or is Lex Luger <laughs> pissed off? You sure. know, I don't know, like, I don't know if he's legitimately angry about something or if he's like, this is the character. Because I can't think of a reason that either one of them has to be angry with Nick Patrick right now. Well, the only thing I can think of is that, you know, the angle is that Nick Patrick went for the bell to try to help Luger, but Luger doesn't want the help because uh, didn't they tease him as being an NWO member for a long time? But it just it doesn't read. Yeah. Well, he's facing the NWO tomorrow night. Mm-hmm. So if anything, you'd think they would want to right. not help yeah. Luger. They'd yeah. want to soften him up. Oh, that that does remind me. I don't know if that's during this match or or just sometime when the NWO is on commentary. But we, we've talked about on in the weeks and, and months prior how the NWO has like this weird way of being like, yeah, yeah, Sting's part of the NWO. He totally is this right. week. Well, they they've now <laughs> yeah. they've now extended that to Savage, and are saying yeah. like, yeah, looks like Savage is totally a member of our group now. I mean, we should know if that's true or not, but we're like, yeah, he's <laughs> totally with yeah. us. None of us have had a conversation with him, but we're a hundred percent sure <laughs> that he's <laughs> <Right>. with us. <laughs> yeah, the other thing I want to mention about the commentary in this match, uh, just because we talked about it last week when the NWO were briefly on commentary, uh, we mentioned how six bragged that he had a, a win over Hacksaw Jim Duggan last uh-huh. week and that even though it was true no one seemed to believe him <laughs> he must have had a word with them backstage because this time Nash is like oh hey by the way uh six last week you said that you had a win over Jim Duggan and uh you were right buddy I, that that <laughs> yes. did happen oh my god it's, it's like they go out of their way to bring it up because six's feelings were so right. hurt or something <laughs> <laughs> The NWO music plays once more as Hulk Hogan struts his way to the ring carrying his championship belt. He is flanked by Vincent and Ted DiBiase. Nash calls him the world's richest beach bum, and I think Jimmy Buffett would like to have a word. (laughs) (laughs) The NWO entertain themselves singing the chorus of the Bloodhound Gang's hit song Firewater Burn, which was released only a month before that. Uh, the roof is on fire. Oh, yeah, That's, yeah, yeah. You know, okay. that one. Yeah. yeah. DiBiase introduces the only icon of professional wrestling, and Hollywood Hogan gets on the mic. The icon, the only icon of professional wrestling has got something to tell you. You know something, Trillionaire Ted? They told me when I was coming down the aisle that they wanted to see Hollywood's pythons, brother. So hang on for one second. Oh, yes, drumroll, please. Let him have it. He's been training hard. Look, he's, oh, that's magnificent. He's shredded. He is, oh, oh my man. God. He does have some gigantic arms, man. He's been training hard. Hanging and banging is only the H. Wood can. <laughs> See a lot of people in Hollywood trying to copy the beards. Yo, no, no. Trillionaire Ted, 
when we hit the Windy City last night, brah, the people thought it was a 747 coming in for a crash landing in O'Hare. But the bottom line, we had a little mechanical failure, so I just punched out some holes in the first class cabin, and I used the pythons for a set of wings on the 747, so don't panic. I can There's hear him not a natural Traps disaster. Down. Traps down. It was just a shadow of the pythons coming over O'Hare. And you know something? That big, fat, pimple-infested crybaby, that giant, I'm gonna bust him up real bad, NWOites. That NWO sold out because Trillionaire Ted has laid some heavy dinero down on Hollywood to make sure the job gets done the first time. So Trillionaire Ted, if he begs and he pleads and NWO sold out for mercy, should I give him any quarter? Absolutely not! <laughs> you know something? When I was using the Giant, when I was abusing the Giant, I met his mommy, and I told her what a good boy he was. But the fact was, and I, as I used him and I abused him, the history started right here in Chicago. I met him in Chicago at a basketball game. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh wait a second, here. guys. Yes. Guys, oh, wait a minute. Handle it. Stop him. Handle it, guys. Stop him. No. Go. Stop him, guys. Go, go, go. Go, guys. Go. I go down there, but I got a gas bubble. Jeez, I guess I got to go help out on this. He says that the fans told him that they want to see the pythons, so he poses for a bit. <laughs> Hogan says last night when the NWO hit the Windy City, people thought it was a 747 crash landing at O'Hare Airport. But, Hogan, <laughs> Hogan says, their plane suffered a mechanical failure, which he solved by punching through the first-class windows so his arms could be used in place of wings. <laughs> I love the fact that he's describing the plane as somehow losing its wings as a mechanical failure. <laughs> that is that's such a euphemism for such a terrifying scenario. You know, it never occurred to me until this watching this back that that's Hulk Hogan walking to the ring with Ted DiBiase and Virgil like. Just the gr the gravity of that, like just how weird when you think yeah. about this is 1997, when you think about like even, you know, three or four years earlier, how unconscionable that would be. It's, it's mind blowing. Right. Yeah. It, it that the Hogan DiBiase stuff from WF seems like forever ago. Yeah. And yet it was not all that long ago at all. Yeah. I mean, they were Money Inc. was against uh, Hogan and Brutus. What was that? What that have been? WrestleMania 9. Five years? No, uh, yeah, I know it was nine, uh, but how many no, years ago would that have been? Four. Four? It was 93. Yeah. God, that's crazy. Yeah. That is crazy. Hogan goes on to talk about the big, fat, pimple-infested <laughs> crybaby giant, <laughs> somehow forgetting to mention Stinky, yeah. which is... Disappointing. I was really disappointed. No. 
he promises to beat up the giant it's sold out. A Hogan sucks chant breaks out as Hogan asks Ted if he should show the giant any mercy. Uh, DiBiase, of course, says no. <laughs> I don't know what else we were expecting. <laughs> Hogan says that when he was pretending to be friends with the giant, he met the giant's mother. Ugh. That's it. There's no follow-up insult or anything. Right. He, he just says, one time I met his mom. Yeah. <laughs> so Hogan's free association promos, just it's fascinating sometimes the avenues they do and don't go down. Right. <laughs> it's like he was going to start ripping on Giant's mom and then realized, you know, I have met that lady in real life, yeah. and I guess I probably shouldn't talk a bunch of shit about her on national TV. Right. <laughs> or, or maybe it was he was expecting the giant to be out there by now to interrupt him. Well, maybe that could be Hogan then tells uh, the true story that he met the giant at a basketball game (laughs) in Chicago. Uh, It was like a celebrity basketball game. The house lights then come up and we can see the angry giant making his way to the ring. A group of security goons led by Doug Dillinger is there to try and stop him. The B teamers try to make their way into the ring to protect Hogan Nash is going to stay in the booth. He says over the headset that he'd love to help, but he's dealing with a, quote, gas bubble. (laughs) (laughs) Giant finally throws off the security guys, and Doug Dillinger goes back first into the steps. The old, kind of fat, non-wrestler's third bump of the (laughs) evening. Right. (laughs) Doug Dillinger's punching that bump card tonight. (laughs) (laughs) And the Giant tries to come into the ring as the NWO attack, and that is where our go-home show for Clash of the Champions, uh, and essentially for Sold Out, since I don't think that Hogan and the Giant appear on the Clash, but I guess we'll find out for sure in our next episode. Uh, That's where it ends. I was, to be honest, shocked that this segment was the go-home segment involving these two, because... All of these segments in the last three weeks, with the Giant leaving the NWO, becoming their enemy, Mm -hmm. uh, the stuff with Sting and with Vincent in weeks prior, like, everything has been so, so good. And then this was, like, this tiny rush segment that did not leave me wanting more at all in the way those other ones did. Uh, So I I was really, really surprised that the strong creative direction of this program was like really abandoned for the go home show. It was nuts. Uh, Dave, you've been watching all these shows. What did you make of this? Yeah, no, I, I kind of feel the same way. I mean, it, it seemed like there might, maybe, I don't know if there was a timing issue or something like that, or if they ran out of time towards the end, because it did seem like it cut off pretty abruptly and that there was more that was going to happen that we should have been seen as far as a, a confrontation in the ring with the giant and Hogan. But uh, I mean, by the time Giant comes out there, I'm just like, I, I don't even know what planet I'm on anymore after listening <laughs> to Hogan talk. <laughs> you, usually, usually I kind of just drown him out for these segments, but this time I was like really paying attention, and I'm like, what in the fuck is he talking about? Like, <laughs> he he's very fortunate that that people always made fun of the Warriors promos and <laughs> never really like focused on his because his don't make any more sense you know yeah i I mean the whole thing about the airplane it's like what what are you even getting at like what what does this mean 
<laughs> the thing I like about the airplane promo is babyface Hulk Hogan could have given that promo in 1987 yes. and it would have been the exact same promo. That's what I was saying. That's that weird transition. Like he hadn't fully made the transition out of hokey 80s Hogan into Hollywood Hogan because like it's like, yeah, what, like, no, you didn't. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that never happened, Terry. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> It reminded me of the one from WrestleMania 4 where he's talking about the building collapsing, yeah. or like getting flooded, and he saves Donald Trump, and they're doing the backstroke together yeah. and stuff. He body slams on your giant, which causes the arena to fall apart yeah. and fall into the ocean. <laughs> well, there was one, uh, SummerSlam 89, where he talks about how he and Brother Brudai were trying to ride their their motorcycles to the building, but there was traffic, so they just drove off into the Henry Hudson River, and then it, <laughs> and then it parted like the Red Sea, and that's how they got to the building. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, uh, Magnum, what do you think of the the last segment here, the final angle? It was really flat. I mean, it, it's it's a bummer because, and this might be controversial. I love that for like two years the WCW main event was a Hogan promo because I love the lighting I love <laughs> I love the chaos and sometimes they were really good and like you said it, it would always be like oh here comes Hogan and there's 15 minutes left so we're just going to hear him talk forever but then Sting would come mm. down or Savage would run out or whatever mm. um, and so I was really excited when I saw it when I heard the Hollywood you know coming out music coming out but it was totally it made no sense um, he rambled on and on and then when giant came out all he did was get held back by people and then scream seemingly in pain <laughs> like, <laughs> just like, oh! <laughs> and, and it did not make me want to buy a pay-per-view whatsoever yeah right yes well that being the end of the show uh time to talk about what we thought of nitro overall uh i thought this like we've had a couple weeks where i've been just putting over how great I thought the shows were. You know, we had the one that we would have put in uh, our show's Nitro Hall of Fame were it not for the the fact that the main event was cut up and interspersed in the new adventures of Robin. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's true. Uh, <laughs> but, like, I've been so, so into this run of Nitros that we've been talking about lately. This was the first one. I'm not saying I didn't like mm. it. I'm just saying this is, to me an average show if i had watched this in 97 and we were talking about it here in 2020 i feel like i would have remembered those other shows i feel like i would not have remembered the show yeah. i would have watched it and been like i'm sure i saw this in 97 but i don't remember any of these details yeah. uh you know it was it would it failed to leave a, an impression on me it was very watchable but it wasn't great mm. Magnum, what do you think of Nitro? Overall? I had a very similar feeling. The only exception being the only thing I remembered from this whole show, and again, I probably haven't watched this in twenty years, was the Savage uh, Sting moment. You know, when Sting came down, right. I was like, "Man, I can't remember what happens here. Do they fight?" I'm like, "Oh no, the bat thing." Oh man, I remember this, but unfortunately, that was the first thirteen minutes of the show. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, by the time you get to the end, you almost forget that that was even on the same program. Well, well that's know? what I was thinking as Hogan was coming out. I was like, man, where's Sting and Savage? And I'm like, oh, they already did that. Oh, bummer. Because my thought is it's almost like they uh, you expect Savage and Sting to come back. Like That happens so early in the show. You think like, okay, they've shown us the gun in Act 1. Now mm. they have to use it at the end of the show, right? Like someone's going to get shot here, right? You know, But it just never happens. 
Dave, what do you think of Nitro overall? Yeah, I, I have the same opinion. I mean, it started off so strongly, but it just um, kind of just fell apart, gradually fell apart by the time we got to the end of the show. In previous weeks, we have talked about, I think rel- pretty positively, the concept they're kind of doing right now of the shorter matches in which we just have more, we get to see more wrestlers, and we're getting kind of hype-ups for more matches. I, I like it. I just, as long as they throw me one long yes. match, which they didn't do yeah, this time. Yeah, I, I was kind of, I, I was tr- trying to get at that, that they're went, they ah, were going sorry. with the same formula, but it just didn't work out quite that well this week. And when that doesn't get executed very well, it's just a bunch of, it's a bunch of short matches that are also just very confusing matchups. Like, do we really need to see the amazing French Canadians in two singles matches? I, 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 right. I feel like that could have been done with uh, more prominent, like singles wrestlers. Uh, there's a mm-hmm. lot of matches in the middle there that I'll be like, Oh, I totally forgot. Like Lord Steven Regal wrestled against Jacques Rougeau, you know? Yeah. Uh, there's like, I also feel really robbed that I didn't get to see Regal versus Leparka. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I think, I mean, it's memorable for the opening segment. Everything else, uh, you know, just kind of fell a bit flat. But, I mean, for WCW, it's a long, they're starting a long week now because they got Clash tomorrow, and then they have sold out on Saturday. So uh, I don't, maybe they were just, like, saving some of their better ideas for later on in the week. I don't know. Um, yeah, but I mean, either way, I, I'm I'm excited for Clutch of the Champions, especially trying to I'm 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 waiting to see how much of the uh, same spots we're gonna get in the Chris Benoit versus Kevin Sullivan match, um, and also I did <laughs> looking ahead, I do see that the um, Lex Luger versus Scott Hall is 15 minutes long. Oof. And and that Ooh. is that's wow. like I don't know if that's a good thing or not. It's going to be at least fourteen minutes of Lex selling, <laughs> <Right>. to, <laughs> you know. Yes, that one's going to be either or. <laughs> like that's either going to be really good or terrible. Yes. Yep. <laughs> Nowhere in between. All right. Well, uh, before we talk about our segment of the night and our MVP Magnum, I want to talk to you about Magnum's Opus, the documentary that just went live, uh, as I mentioned, on YouTube and Amazon video yesterday. Uh, It's a great it's kind of the story of your unfortunate retirement um, happened uh, due to medical reasons beyond your control. I'm interested. You said earlier that that was kind of not where it started what what was kind of the original conception of the documentary and and maybe kind of talk through uh the production and and how that story changed as your real life story changed. well sure so you know we made a a feature length documentary called marking out that's on amazon prime as well and it was kind of this fun uh 85 minute look into wrestling fandom and and a couple of guys trying to figure out why they still like wrestling and everything and, and, and we went to a bunch of conventions uh, comic book conventions and stuff and just talked to a bunch of fans of different things and just kind of explored that and uh in doing so we went to a bunch of chikara shows and things like that and i, I had wrestled from about 2004 to about 2009 
consistently and then uh, just kind of got out of it for various reasons. And we talk about that uh, in this documentary. But um, making that documentary really kind of sparked that fire for me again. So I ended up training at Chikara and, and, a, and a few other places and, to get back into wrestling. So we decided to make a sequel. We were just going to call it Marking Out 2. And I was going to be a small part of it. I mean, we were, we were just going to say, hey, you know, here's this guy. Look at him. He's a tag champion at AIW. And yay, he's having fun. Remember him? And uh, then, yeah, the, the, I, I started getting really popular at a lot of places. And, and my part in the movie got a little bigger. And then uh, with the injury happening kind of out of nowhere, it was like, well, this movie is it's totally different now it's changed and I don't want people to think it's a downer. I don't think it's a bummer of a movie. I mean, it definitely has some serious elements and some, some, uh, uh, some messaging in there that I want people to take away from it. But I think it's a pretty, I mean, maybe you'd be a better judge of this as someone who's watched it, but I think it's, a, it's kind of a fun watch as well. Like I think it's, it's entertaining. I, I, I hope. I, I certainly think it's entertaining and fun. Uh, I think, a. a s- Something about it that I really enjoyed is uh, prominent featuring of RJ City, <laughs> who's just a very funny, entertaining guy who uh, I, I know from like his tweets, but I, I guess I don't think I'd really seen him speak that much before. Uh, just like he's, he's very funny um, and definitely keeps like, it, like you said, it, it does tell about things that are unfortunate, but it is not a sad experience watching uh, it, it has its own way of being inspiring by the way that you've interspersed kind of throughout and then kind of concentrate a lot at the end, the promo that you gave after your farewell show, which I think is a really great promo uh, from the heart. Uh, and I also think, you know, you talk about the messages you get out of it. The message that I got out of it is uh, you've every single person out there who doesn't have one. And, and I'm lucky that I do, but you got to find a partner, a wife, a husband, a girlfriend, whatever, uh, like you have, because it seems like your wife, uh, absolutely, what a supportive, amazing person that, that I think, like, every time something came up, an issue, a problem, or something you were going through, it was like that, she gave the exact advice that I think a person need to hear at that part. She she is the big baby face. <laughs> the exactly, yeah, she, um, it's a good point, because none of this, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you, uh, or I wouldn't have this documentary, or any of this, if she hadn't been the person kind of uh, helping guide me through it, and um, it's one of those things where, something I learned a long time ago, and I don't know if I've ever talked about this very much, but uh, you don't have to be a smart person uh, or you don't have to be a genius. You just have to listen to what smart people say. <laughs> you just have to <laughs> have to do what a, like I've thought about that many times in my life. Where I'm like, ah, geez, I don't know what to do here. I'm like, well, what would a smart person do? And let me ask a smart person I know, or let me think about what would this person do? And she's definitely that person for me. Like today, you know, uh, I didn't really have a lot of confidence. Not that I didn't think this movie would be entertaining, but I have very low self-esteem with stuff like that, where I'm like, well, I just hope that people don't think it sucks. You know, like, like RJ says in the movie, like, I don't want anyone to tweet and be like, yeah, it looks like a piece of shit, you know. <laughs> that, that was my main goal. And she's like, you know, you should send this out to some people. Like, why don't you try to, you could work this into a job somewhere. Like, have you you know everybody. Why don't you send this out and, and, and have, them, have them look at it? And I even said, I was like, you know, I don't know. And she's like, come on, you know? And I was like, you know what? If you're saying it, it's probably a good idea. So I'll probably go ahead and do it. <laughs> well, well, cause, cause the old formula used to be, she would tell me to do something and I'd wait about a year and then be like, yeah, you're right. I should do that. <laughs> now I'll just do it now. 
Well, that kind of brings me to my follow-up question. Uh, in terms of wrestling, because, you know, you've got uh, parenting and, and your career and everything, but in terms of wrestling, what is next for you? Because it seems like from what I got watching the documentary, there's A, there's too much passion, and B, you've just got too much of a good mind for this stuff to not be involved just because you can't be in the ring. So I say with confidence, I ask, what's next in wrestling? Because I feel like there has to be something. Well, uh, it's, it's a good point, and I appreciate the kind words for sure. Um, it's something that I never stop thinking about. I mean, I still write down promo ideas in my phone. I have a like a notes app in my phone, and every day I'm like, oh, that'd be a good line, or oh, I thought of this for a promo, or oh, that's a funny spot. And uh, I keep all that. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. But um, <laughs> I, I've done some promo seminars uh, with AIW and, and just general, and they turn into general acting and character work. Uh, just in general. And um, that's been going very well. And even actually, oddly enough, at the last one, uh, Bill Alfonso was on the show and he, he showed up early and he sat through one of my seminars and came up and was like, you know, I love what you did there, daddy. That was great. You're telling them the right stuff and they respect you and all that, you know? <laughs> and so that, you know, getting kind of reaff reaffirmed by someone like Bill Alfonso was pretty cool, but um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's a, it's a weird thing because I'm very involved in theater and acting, uh, you know, before this whole quarantine thing happened. But um, so it's hard to get to shows when you're not booked on them, but I have an open door policy with so many places like AIW. I mean, you know, the owner of AIW, John Thorne, is like, listen, anytime you want to come to a show and you want to do a promo or do an entrance and produce and help the guys, you know, there's a payday in it for you, whatever you want. You know, so um, I don't know. It's hard. And I can understand from my perspective, as I have it now, uh, being outside of the ring, you know, I used to laugh at Terry Funk and be like, man, this guy just can't stay away. And I, I you know, there's not a day, at least one or two days a week where I'm like, you know what? I'm I'm healed up here. I'm feeling pretty good. Like, you know, we could do a thing. And then I'm like, oh, come on, man. You know, <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, doing stuff like this, I, I like I, I'm an entertainer. I just like to entertain and, and, I, and I stay very involved in theater and film and things like that. But I always seem to find my way back to wrestling one way or another. So not too many months go by before i'm on a on a show producing or uh even right now i mean gosh i get i get uh, videos from from wrestlers you know every week saying hey can you take a look at this video and tell me what you think and that that to me is a big badge of honor because all i ever want is the respect of your peers you know mm -hmm. right absolutely uh, where, if people want to find you on social media, where can they find you? What give all your ads? Yeah, I think Twitter's probably the best. It's at the Magnum CK, uh, and uh, that's where I have all the links for the movie and stuff like that. And that's usually where I share if I, if I'm doing something or, uh, uh, you know, with everyone being locked up these days, uh, I have a lot of. A lot of video ideas that are going to be coming down the pike. That uh, you know, one thing that I think set me apart or sets me apart i'm still not you i can't talk about wrestling in the past tense very easily but one thing that i think sets me apart is my acting um experience you know i'm about 18 years of, you know i'm a trained actor and i trade trained all over the place um promos and so I, I miss doing promos so i have some kind of uh, fun video ideas that i'm going to be putting out and uh, if you find me on twitter i'll be putting some of that out i think some of it will be pretty pretty funny well, as a couple of uh, – Dave and I were both theater majors in college, oh, wow. actually. We're both actors as well. Uh, have not – unfortunately, I just – I don't 
I I always say I don't have time yeah. in my life to do it. I would if I if I wasn't podcasting. Right. I guess because the <laughs> it does take up about this equivalent amount of time that rehearsals and stuff would take. But I I think that brings a, a unique approach to wrestling fandom having that as a background. And I also feel like a lot of the people I know who are theater people who are also wrestling people. It's, I feel like we all gravitate towards Andy Kaufman, yeah. and that's why I was so interested. Like, here you are, someone I've never met, you know, from a different part of the country, and that that was something that was also important to you. And here we have these things in common, born around the same time. I was I was born in 83, uh, but, you know, come up through the theater watching Andy Kaufman on Comedy Central, and it's just uh, there's, there's something about the way that he approached wrestling uh, that I think really connects to, like, anyone who loves uh, not only theater but comedy – as well um, and there's a, a long segment of the documentary where you guys talk about the connections uh in comedy and wrestling and going back to something we talked about during the show that's something that uh steven regal really understood as well he's a huge fan of comedy and he's he's so able to connect that to his wrestling uh, so i don't really have a thesis there i just i find it really interesting when i get to talk to theater people who happen to be into wrestling as well yeah i think uh andy just got it because uh I feel like when it when wrestling really clicked for me, and I, I think I talk about this in the documentary, I can't, I've seen so much footage, I can't remember um, if it made it or not, but when I came back to wrestling and I had my first match back, about halfway through the match, I just kind of stood up and I was kind of hamming for the crowd or whatever, and I was like, oh my God, this is a play. Oh my, it's theater. Yes. Holy shit, this is <laughs> yeah. theater. I've done, there's no reason for me to ever be nervous about this. I've done, you know, I've done... Uh, dozens of roles by that point i mean right now i'm in a production of the producers uh when it finally gets back after this uh, uh break oh, yeah. um, it'll be my 35th role as a as a lead in a musical or play so i've done a lot of it so then when i realized that oh wrestling and, and that's the first thing i tell the wrestlers in my seminars i'm like listen you know some of you are going to be offended by this i'm sorry to tell you that you're an actor uh, so welcome to the world of acting. <laughs> this is acting. It's a different kind of acting, but that's what it is. Um, and then once I realized that wrestling was just theater, I started to feel like I got a lot better at it. And I started connecting with the audience just like I do in theater. But I did not know you guys were theater majors, and that makes me even more excited to be on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, the very last thing that we like to do on our show is name our segment of the night and our MVP uh, we have had a lot of unanimous decisions on these recently, and I feel like we might be getting into that again with Segment of the Night. Uh, I'll go first. My Segment of the Night was definitely the opener with the Macho Man and Sting uh, repelling for the first time onto the Nitro set from the Rafters. Uh, we talked at length about why that is awesome, so I won't take up too much time going over it again, but it was really, really great uh, and probably the only real super memorable part of this show. So that was my segment of the night uh magnum what was yours uh completely agree uh, nothing else in the entire night comes close you probably probably would not see this segment today and if you did it would be three minutes long and it would feel so overproduced because because <laughs> they took that slow burn and they let it sit and they let you stop and think like what's going to happen here it felt unpredictable and that to me is something that's missing and and wcw at this time had that unpredictable uh factor and that was the perfect example of it dave what was your segment of uh night? yeah i'm going to agree with both of you about that um i think one of the reasons why i liked it is 
because um, this is the first time we saw Randy Savage since Slim Jim's Halloween Havoc. And Halloween Havoc and the weeks leading up to it were just such an emphatic burial of Randy Savage um, that it was good yeah. to see him come back in something that feels important and also makes you want to see what happens next with him. Um, it's a very it's an interesting thing that they did with him maybe partnering up with uh, like the Lone Wolf Sting and seeing where that goes. But yeah, there was just so much energy to it the timing even like the long awkward moments felt like they were well timed too like letting that letting it kind of air out and and take its time uh before sting showed up so i thought it was a really well done um really well done and very very memorable so i'm gonna go with that all right we'll snake back around for mvp that means dave we're gonna stay on you who is your mvp of the show uh, i'm gonna go a little bit different i'm gonna do a co-mvp i'm going to give that to both sting and the macho man randy savage i feel like it's if you're looking at an mvp from that segment it'd be hard to really pick one over the other because both of them did uh provided different elements to that segment which made it work so well so i'm gonna do a co-mvp with savage and sting all right, Magnum, who is your MVP of the show? Well, I think it's hard to argue with those two as the MVP, which is unfortunate because you'd hope that, you know, the, the, the remaining hour and 47 minutes would something would pop up to take their place. But, um, <laughs> you know, they, they would be the top for me, too. But just to change it up and give a little different perspective, I'll go with my second choice, which is referee Mark Curtis. Uh, I don't know that I thought I would be picking Mark Curtis, um, but as a wrestler, one thing I've learned to watch or maybe just out of just habit is I just try to watch the whole production and referees are an unsung uh, major player in wrestling. And every match I saw him referee, I forgot that he was out there which tells me that a referee is doing a good job. And the only time I noticed he was there was when he needed to pop in to take care of some business. Mm -hmm. And it was always mm -hmm. believable. Like I like Randy Anderson. He overdoes it. If you ever watch Randy Anderson, yes. anytime yes, he, he can like yep. leapfrog, fly over the guy as he goes for the pin to, yeah. <laughs> and then hop up onto the second rope and count people. It's just too much. <laughs> but Mark Curtis, we have a, he watches. We have a running joke on the show, actually, of pointing out how often Randy Anderson gets on the ropes. He loves being on the ropes. Well, despite the fact that Mark Curtis it looks distractingly like William H. Macy, uh, <laughs> like, like, like I'm waiting for someone to say you lied, Mr. Lundegaard. But, <laughs> but uh, he, if you watch, because uh, I have him on right now, because I went on to another episode of Nitro. He's standing in the corner, watching intently, playing his role perfectly. So, Mark Curtis. All right, I also like to I like to get weird with my MVPs, or at least try to think outside the box. Uh, so I'm going with a 50-year-old man who looks to be about 250, 260 pounds, certainly not in ring shape, not trained, and yet he took three <laughs> big bumps uh. in the show. My MVP is real-life head of security, Doug Dillinger. <laughs> I, like, I genuinely appreciate that that guy was willing to get in there and get physical so much in the show, despite... Clearly not being in the best of shape and and being like I, I looked it up uh, right before I started talking. He is 50 years old. Wow. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, hats off to Doug Dillinger, even though uh, in kayfabe, he's just terrible at yes, his job. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, you know, and actually, kind of uh, in real life too, because Nitro eventually becomes known for jackasses hitting the ring all yeah. the goddamn time. Well, he takes that bump he takes in the bathroom. He almost hits his head on a urinal. So he's he's oh, doing boy. that for the business. <laughs> <laughs> well, Magnum CK, uh, Christopher Parsons, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, not only did you spend uh, you know an hour and forty minutes watching Nitro, but then. We, we sat here and took up your entire Friday evening uh, talking to us. So we really, really appreciate you spending the time, and, and thanks so much for coming on. Well, it's it, absolutely my pleasure. I love these things. I love analyzing this stuff. And one of my favorite things, and, and why this era of wrestling and you know the 10 or 15 years that preceded it, why I firmly believe uh, that this stuff needs to be studied and looked at seriously. I mean, we're joking around, but we're taking the product seriously is I really just think it was better. And I think there are a lot of reasons why it was better. And I love that you guys uh, dedicate so much time to diving in because you can talk about an hour and 43 minute nitro for three hours. And I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We always say other podcasts can do it better, but nobody does it more. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> all right well coming up soon we're gonna have uh, our clash of the champions 34 episode and following that nwo sold out we've got more fun guests from the independent wrestling community lined up for those shows excited to have uh, those people on record with them and bring those out to you the fans as we continue our blitzkrieg of trying to provide as many episodes as we can uh, during this quarantine period you can find all of those right here where the big boys play 20 Years of Nitro. You know what, Mr. Lawler? I've heard all these things you've been saying about me on television. You want to wrestle me? You want to wrestle me, my infant style? All right, fine. I'm not afraid of you, Mr. Lawler, because let me tell you something. True, I only wrestle women, but I've wrestled women that are a lot bigger and stronger than you. Matter of fact, they're probably smarter than you because you don't have any brains. You're from Memphis, Tennessee. All you do is plow the fields and farm and the farm and the... Uh, is that how you talk to Memphis, Tennessee, Mr. Lawler? Duh. See, Mr. Lawler, you don't have any brains. I am from Hollywood. I have the brains. That's how I win my matches. I say the bigger they come, the harder they fall. You might be twice as big as me, but I've wrestled women that are twice as big as me, and I've mopped the floor with them. And that's what I'm going to do with you, Mr. Lawler. You challenged me to a wrestling match. I think you bit off a little more than you can chew. I'm going to wipe the floor with you, Mr. Lawler. I'll give you a little sample. This is what's going to happen when you and I wrestle each other in Memphis. Come here. What's your name? Susan. How tall are you, Susan? Six foot. And uh, how much do you weigh? 327. 327 pounds. That's a lot more than you weigh, Lawler. Okay? Watch this. Let's go. Come on, baby! That's what's just gonna happen to you, Lawler! See? Come on, baby! Come on! Andy, I think you really hurt her. Doesn't matter. She doesn't have any money. Okay. She's poor. She can't sue me. See, I can do anything I want. Put the camera Come off. On. Shut this camera off. Oh. Come on, baby. Russell. <laughs>